Episode 259 with Hotshot Scott. Lots to talk about. Yeah. Football teams survived the Arizona teams barely. Barely, yeah. But all I really want to know is yeah. who the fuck is Bad Bunny? <laughs> I feel like every third SNL, you have the same question. <laughs> I'd like it to be every third SNL. It's oh. more like every oh, SNL. Okay, good. Yes. <laughs> well, he's the king of Latin trap. We all know what that means. I right? don't even know what you're talking about. Oh, yeah. The first non-English language act to be crowned Spotify's most streamed artist you have of the no year. I- Are you telling me you have no idea who Bad Bunny is either? And he's led the list Am of I the 2020. Only one? Who is Bad Bunny? My son, 21 years old, comes over for football on Sunday, yeah. and he says, you're the only one who doesn't know who Bad Bunny is. 18.5. I refuse to believe that I'm the only person who doesn't know Bad Bunny is. 18.5 billion. Billion. With an M. Billion streams in 2022. Billion? Yeah. 18.5 billion streams. On well, st- you're a song guy. You're a music oh, guy. You you're betcha. over there. You're over there stringing the guitar. Oh, I opened for Bad Bunny a couple years ago. Before Do you know him big. or not? Are you fooling around? Do you have, you, could you name a song? Is he a is he a hip hop star? If you would have said, is he a rap star? What does Bad Bunny do for a living? I wouldn't have said Who carpenter. Is Bad Bunny. I wouldn't have said painter. I would have said singer. I would have at least known that it's a singer. Yes. How can I be so out of touch? How can <laughs> how can Saturday Night Live? Have a host. Yeah. A host. This is not a musical guest. Well, I think it was both, wasn't look, he? Look, I haven't even known the musical guests since I was like 16. <laughs> True, yeah. Most of the musical guests, I have no idea who they are. Right. I gave that up a long time ago. Sure. But I always knew who the host was. The host always had like a movie yeah. or a TV show or was big pop culture wise somehow, some way. Right. I don't like it when they have a host that I've never heard of. <laughs> That's not good. I feel like, don't you ask this like every third? Yes, yeah. yes, it's I do. It's the same routine we go yes, through. Yes, I do. Yeah, I'm not familiar with Bad Bunny. Okay. I, I know that Bad Bunny is a singer. Okay. That's it. I have a warning to all the people listening to this podcast who actually know who Bad Bunny is. Yeah. Turn it off. This podcast is not for you. <laughs> right. This is only a podcast, episode 259, for the people in our audience that, like me, mm-hmm. Have no idea who Bad Bunny is. And the other question is, how does he, assuming that's not his real name, Bad Bunny? Probably a good How guess. does he come to that? Is he sitting around a coffee table having a Starbucks latte <laughs> and he decides, yeah, Bad Bunny has a certain ring to it. Benito Antonio Martinez Ocasio is his name. God. Not born Bad Bunny. <sighs> Yeah, his father, Tito Martinez, was a truck driver. What? Blah, 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 blah. Tino? Uh, Tito. Oh. That would have been great. Now, that guy you know, Tito oh my Martinez. God. Could you imagine if he was the son of <laughs> Tino Martinez? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's I don't unfiltered. Know. I don't know how he got that. Available everywhere. Subscribe on any podcast platform. Even if you're a bad bunny. Yes, you have your hand out in the back. His stage name originally came from a time in which he was forced to wear a bunny costume and was angry about it. So there you go. Bad Bunny. That's how he got it. <sighs> yeah. Not the greatest stage name ever, is it? Apple, Spotify, Google, subscribe on any podcast platform and be a subscriber to Mitch Unfiltered. If you'd like more regular shows than just the, the two or three hour once a week on Mondays, you can become a Mitch Unfiltered patron. Even if you're a fan of Bad Bunny, <laughs> MitchUnfiltered.com. Could there be a Bad Bunny musical retrospective coming from 
Hot Shot Scott someday soon, where you go over the whole yeah. life and times oh, sure. of Bad Bunny. He's uh, number 12,483rd on my list. I of got perspective that. Okay, ones, so yes. we've got still a ways you to go. You got some time to yes. go down that list. And by the way, you're talking about listeners of ours who may not know who Bad Bunny is. May not know. Nobody knows who Bad Bunny is. Well, I was going to say, I've been to a couple show parties, and no offense, but pretty sure they don't know who he is either after I look around a little bit. So I think you're talking to the right crowd. Are you saying that our listeners are dying every day? Is that what you're saying? Are they that old? Well, you know, I think they're, yeah, probably not too familiar with who that is. Become a Mitch Unfiltered patron before you die at MitchUnfiltered.com. $5 a month gets you the four shows each week, soon to be five. Peace show with Danny O'Neill shooting the shit with Slick. Around the NFL with Randy Mueller. Seahawks No Table, Brian Nemhauser, Brady Henderson. They also do the free one on the Monday show. And coming soon, the regular Seattle Kraken No Table. What a start they're off to. Yeah, no kidding. One, four, and one for yeah. the Kraken so far. What was the hype before the season? Was it, was it we're going to pick up where we left well, off? Well, I think some people pipe dream that, but there was others, and you'll hear on this show, yeah. on a, an interview segment, this show that felt like, ooh, it could be... It could be back to reality for the Seattle Kraken really? as the season started, but we'll we'll see what happens. It's only six games. Yeah. Let's not uh, let's not judge them after six games. If the five bucks it costs five dollars a month to become a Mitch Unfiltered patron and get those regular shows, those short twenty to thirty minute regular shows each week. If the five dollars is a legitimate problem, odd shot, you can contact me, Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com. And I will get you set up. Also, five stars. Can we get some five-star ratings and reviews on the Apple Podcast app, please? Beat the boys. Uh, This will be weekend number eight, I believe, coming up. Okay. I owe you three games and I owe you a password. The Vikings at the Packers. I always choose these these like one or two point spreads that could go either way. the The Falcons at the Titans. The Jaguars at the Steelers. And the password is Heisman. Oh, I've heard of that. How's our Heisman candidate doing these days? <sighs> Not as well as he was doing a week ago right now. That's for sure. That I know correct. that for sure. Yeah, I was thinking about it. like the Heisman. It never really dawned on me that he's just going to win it. I just you even think when, he's going to give it away. I just even somebody when, else is going to come grab it. I just thought he was just wasn't going to keep that going. It just wasn't going to happen. Right. I just never thought that he'd be the Heisman Trophy winner. I don't know why his numbers were gaudy and maybe I'm stupid, but it never really. In fact, when you texted me that, I was like, oh, yeah, I guess he was the favorite to win the Heisman, wasn't he? Might still be the favorite <laughs> Might to win still the Heisman. Be, yeah. yeah. I was thinking more about the playoffs. like that pre- Playoffs? Playoffs. <laughs> Did you say playoffs? That's what I'm rooting for. I want them to get to the freaking well, playoffs. Well, we'll get there. We'll get to the University of Washington struggles yeah. late on Saturday night. I'm just hopeful like they always used to complain. Now we can be excited that it was so late on the East Coast that no one no one has any idea what happened. That's right. No, We're no the one. only it's, it's the best kept secret in yeah. college football that Washington struggled on Saturday night. Nobody's going to look at the the newspaper. Nobody's going to look at the computer. Everybody went to sleep. Yep. All you're going to see is their record. You're going to have no idea how they beat Arizona State. That's right. Normally That's my we, hope. We complain about it normally, but the yes. one time it like works in our favor. Keep it a secret. That's right. Don't tell anybody. Don't say too loud what happened on Saturday night. Guests on this episode, 259. We do have the Seahawks no table. The Seahawks somehow, some way got through the Arizona Cardinals game on Sunday. It was not pretty. Mm-mm. But the defense sure showed up again, third straight week now, that the blossoming, new, young, aggressive Seattle Seahawks defense shows up for the occasion. 
Brady, Brian, and myself will dissect what we saw on Sunday and what it all means as the Seahawks get to four and two and await the Cleveland Browns Mm. on Sunday. Rick Neuheisel. Now, he is one of the East Coasters who stayed up the entire time to watch the (laughs) Washington-Arizona State game. He will uh, give us his opinion on how much, if any, Washington hurt themselves in the eyes of college football playoff committee, Heisman Trophy voters. Yeah. The what was it, 15 to 7 or whatever it was, 15 to 7 win on Saturday night. How detrimental was it to the University of Washington? Can a Washington one loss team now, and I we'll talk about this in segment number one. Yeah. Does it hurt a potential one loss Washington team from getting into the NCAA's final four of college football? And then uh, segment number three of the interviews will be our first Seattle Kraken note table of the year. Darren Brown, RJ Eskinos, and they will answer the question, what the hell is going on? One, four, and one, and outscored 21 to 11 in those six games. So not only are they losing, they're getting blown out in virtually every game. This was the same team that made it deep into the Western Conference playoffs right. last year. So what's going on with the Kraken? We'll get the answers. All right. And episode 259, not possible without our partner, Zeke's Pizza, ladies and gentlemen. Football season specials every football game day. That's Thursdays, Saturdays, Sundays, and Mondays. $10 off of all orders of $40 or more at all Zeke's Pizza locations by using the code PIGSKIN10. Pigskin 10, homegrown in the Northwest. John Waterstrat, Fireside Home Solutions, the title sponsor of Beat the Boys. Your week eight password is Heisman, all lowercase. A thousand bucks from Fireside Home Solutions to the winner. And everyone who beats us wins a prize. Check out new fireplaces, garage doors at FiresideHomeSolutions.com. The Woodenville office of Cross Country Mortgage. My family beginning the conversations of downsizing with our youngest graduating high school this year. Great to have Jordan Flowers and Cross Country Mortgage of Woodenville on my side. I'm in good hands. 425-890-2957. Daniel's Broiler. Here comes Thanksgiving. Bellevue location almost sold out already at $80 a head. Leshy is opening an incredible remodel in time for Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, and the downtown location has a $75 all-you-can-eat buffet. No better place to celebrate special occasions. Daniel's Broiler, you gotta love them, world-class steakhouses. Evergreen Golf Call, tax advisors, certified financial planners, experienced portfolio managers working together to bring retirement planning taxes and investments under one roof, evergreengk.com. More than just a financial advisor, Evergreen is everything well. This is episode 259, and it begins right now. Unfiltered. He had to have felt heartbroken going across that field in the seconds after a game to shake the guy's hand that his team had just lost that game. Whether it's Dan Lanning or Scott Soden or Mitch, whoever's in that role as the loser on the losing end of that game, I give him a pass. Unfiltered. Do you realize that the Bengals averaged four yards a play over the course of the entire afternoon and you still didn't do enough offensively to fly back to Seattle with the win. That, to me, is why it's got to be one of the more frustrating games for a fan to watch. Mitch is unfiltered. 
And now, episode 259 is underway. Hotshot Scott. Let Bobo cook. Let Bobo cook. <laughs> oh, God. Do I have to now subject myself yes. to DK Metcalf? We, we didn't even miss him. Yeah, we didn't even. Bobo's better than Metcalf. Trade Am I going to have to hear that oh, sure. now the whole week? Yes. Imagine what you can get from Metcalf. I mean, trade Stop him, it. get some players in, Stop it. let Bobo be the guy. Let Bobo cook. Find some steroids for Bobo so he can take Metcalf's place to get a little bigger. I guess it was a um, all's well that ends well kind of a football weekend yeah. for the local Yokel Seattle teams, right? I would agree. I said on Twitter I, I, that if the Huskies win three to nothing, I'll be perfectly satisfied. It just felt like a the well, consummate you, trap game. You're the one who keeps bringing up the Arizona State game from last year. <laughs> no, well, I, isn't I, it you? Somebody does. I, it's me. Yes. And I feel like I sort of perpetuated this. Yeah, I know. And and you've been bringing it up so often that I brought it up to Danny like, you don't think. Yeah. Danny O'Neill. And he was like, no, 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 no. Last year it was there. Oh. It was in Tempe. Oh, that makes This one's in Seattle. No problem. <laughs> and I am sitting there on Saturday night. Where were you watching the game? I was sitting right where I'm sitting right now. Yeah. Watching the game going the whole time. For three hours, I was just muttering. Am I really watching this? I know. What is happening? Is this really, ha- is this really happening? Are they really going to lose? Like, in the back of my mind, I knew that they're so much better than this other team. They'll get a late touchdown and pull this out, right? Right. But I wasn't sure. And I just sat here. I was like, <laughs> when is this going to happen? Yeah. It was excruciating Awful. to watch that game on Saturday night. There was a play. There was one play, I think, towards the end of the game. Who was the running back for Arizona State? His name is escaping me. It doesn't matter, yeah. But he he got he picked up a first down. He just kept driving his legs. Yes. I don't know if you remember what I'm talking about. He was yes. dead in the water. Yes. It was like a four-yard gain, and he gets it. And I remember thinking, to me, that's the game. That sums up the entire game of they just seem like they want it more. Yeah. We got the Oregon hangover. We and got that, the hangover. That play just summed up the and whole game. And you know what's funny me. about that? That and the missed tackles. We could sit here for an hour and talk about all the times where the first Washington defender, and this is going back weeks and weeks, going back to the Oregon game and beyond. The first Washington defender. Yeah. To the ball carrier. Does that guy ever make the tackle? <laughs> it's frustrating, yeah. Honestly, I don't think that guy ever makes a tackle. And yet, we could sit here and bitch and moan about missed tackles and the play you're talking about. Yeah. But in the end, the reason they're still undefeated is the defense. That's true. Yeah. The defense bailed their asses out. The defense bailed the Heisman Trophy winner's ass out. Yep. The defense bailed Ryan Grubb out. The defense bailed Kalen DeBoer out. Great point. Yep. Do they even win if they don't get that pick six? Do they score enough? Is that pick six the difference in the game? Yeah, I, I don't mean, even know if they can ever score. Not only did they score on D, but they only gave up seven. I mean, they gave up seven points. Yes. And they scored for you. It's like they definitely carried it. Great point. I mean, it's, it, the defense who we oh, were kind of questioning God. the first few weeks of the season stepped up when they needed them. I was thinking whether this would have been the biggest upset in Husky history. And anybody who's a Husky purist will tell you about an Oregon State game years and years ago mm. where like Washington was like a 30 some odd point favorite. And I don't even know why. They were only like a 28 point favorite on Saturday night, which is befuddling to begin with because when you think about where each team was, one team is undefeated and is making a run to the college football playoff is one of the top with the Heisman Trophy front runner right. on its team and undefeated. And the at other, home, by the way, at home. Yeah. And the other is a program that's in complete disarray. Yeah. 
has had to fire coaches, has been under NCAA investigations, <laughs> has won one game. So I'll ask you, or did I ask you on text, can you name the team that they had beaten? They were one and five going into the game on Saturday night. Okay. Can you stump the band? Can yeah. you name the team that Arizona State had beaten? Probably like a Florida State or an Alabama no, or quite. somebody. Because they, they look good to me, Arizona not State. Quite, not quite. Probably a good team, like a Southern Utah the Southern Utah <laughs> University Thunderbirds. Oh, don't sleep on them this year. They're a hell of a team. And they beat them 24-21. <laughs> Is that right? Yes. <laughs> I barely beat them. <laughs> so I can't tell you oh, that it would be God. the biggest upset of all time because of that Oregon State game. Yeah. But UCLA 1990 is a big one too. But I guess they're still a Pac-12 team and it's not a, Appalachian it's not a State Southern or... Utah University, right. I yeah, guess, yeah. that beat them. But my goodness. Crazy. I don't oh, know how that God, works. I, uh, I don't know how it works in sports. They just let down, I guess. Yeah. They just have a bad week of practice. Maybe the quarterback is still banged up from the the beating that he took in the Oregon game. Maybe yeah. they heard a lot of attaboys, way to go, boys. They were the big men on campus for a week, yeah. and maybe their head swelled, and they didn't – I don't know. Do they reading, not practice? I don't know. <laughs> reading the old press clippings, as they used to say. I have absolutely no idea. And they're not pros. We forget. They're not pros. They're students. They're young men. They're not – professionals no, and they no. can let down and it happens i guess maybe nobody saw it on the east coast i swear <laughs> that would be awesome it started by the way that game that says 7 30 pacific time it doesn't even start until about 7 50 yeah. pacific time 7 45 pacific time 10 45 kickoff right in new york so that game goes three and a half hours it ends at like two o'clock in the morning yeah true so maybe and football fans go 28 point right spread i ain't staying up for this crap who's I mean, staying up for that no one yeah so what are the consequences they win but they look terrible doing it mm -hmm. and they beat a team that they're supposed to win by five touchdowns they beat them barely by eight points what yep. are the consequences does it hurt them in any way i don't think it's gonna hurt them that badly i think they're still undefeated they're still yeah. undefeated in the pac-12 i think they're all the only undefeated team in the pac-12 in conference play right they are not only i'll give you a little mr playoffs thank you they are not only the only undefeated team in the pac-12 with the USC loss again to Utah, that Utah's a, got USC's number, man. It's crazy. USC cannot. Four straight? C Caleb Williams, he does not want to see Utah. <laughs> he does not want to no. see Utah on the other side of the, the field. With the Utah win against USC, knocking USC. You know that USC had lost to Notre Dame, but yeah. they had not lost a conference game. That's right. So when Utah beat USC on Saturday just before or during the uh, the beginning of the Washington Arizona State game, that left USC with one loss, which means if you do the math, Mr. Playoffs, the Washington Huskies are guaranteed a spot in the Pac-12 championship game if they finish with either one or zero losses. They can now lose any game you want, wow. any one game, and there's a very decent chance they can lose two games. We don't want that to happen. Right. But at this moment, mathematically – they can lose any game the rest of the way, and just as long as they only lose one, they are mathematically a guarantee for the Pac-12 championship. Maybe don't tell the players that. If you don't mind, keep that, keep that away from them. They don't listen to the podcast. Okay, good. They don't listen to the podcast. So the consequences. You say it probably won't hurt them. I don't think so. I've been thinking about this a lot since the end of the game, and I think to figure out whether it could potentially hurt them not beating Arizona State by more, you break it down into segments. Okay. We know for sure that if they go undefeated, they're going to be in the national playoffs. So whether they beat them by eight on Saturday or they beat them by 48 on Saturday, 
that has no bearing. It has zero consequence on an undefeated Washington team if this team goes undefeated That's the right. rest of the way. That's why I said 3 nothing. I would have been fine with it. 3 nothing. Yep. It could have been 2 nothing. That's right. Because of where they are right now nationally, high enough, and the marquee value of the conference. People think the conference is great in its last year, and all the things, the Heisman Trophy, whatever. They are rock solid. They could, they could almost win every game the rest of the way by one point. And if they're undefeated, they'll probably still get into the NCAA yep. Final Four. So it does not affect, in my estimation, an undefeated team. Where it potentially could affect Washington is if they're a one-loss team trying to get into the college football playoff. Mm. So think about this. Let me create a scenario for you. Okay. And of course, I can't tell you what's going to happen to Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, all those teams. But let me let me create a scenario for you. Let's assume they run the table now the rest of the way in the Pac-12 season. They beat USC okay. on the road. They beat Utah here. They beat Oregon State. They beat Stanford. Wow. They beat Washington State. And they finish the regular season undefeated. Okay. They'll be in the top three in the country. Yep. And they'll be going to the Pac-12 championship game. Here's the rest of the scenario. Oregon also runs the table from here to the finish line. And it's Oregon versus Washington. An undefeated Washington team against a one-loss Oregon team. The game that you don't want. Right. You've been saying on Twitter and on this show you don't want. Yep. Let's assume they play it again. In Las Vegas, one-loss Oregon, zero-loss Washington. You know where I'm going. Yes. Let's say it's a great game. Oregon wins by three. Now, you've got two one-loss Pac-12 teams. Some would yell, put them both in the final four. Yeah. Is there a chance? Yeah. Is the chance good that two Pac-12 teams with one loss are getting into the final four? Probably not. Doesn't feel like Let's likely. assume that Georgia's in. Let's assume the Michigan-Ohio State survivor is in. And there's a third team that's in Florida State or Oklahoma. Yeah. Somebody like that. So now the committee has got to decide between a one-loss Oregon team and a one-loss Washington team who have played one another twice, two great games, and both games end in a field goal. How are we going to decipher between those two teams and which one we're bringing to the Final Four? Then, is it possible, I'm just asking, that they could go through their schedule one by one by one and come to the Arizona State game. And let's say Arizona State doesn't win a game the rest of the year. And they finish 1-11. and 11. Yeah. And they get to the Arizona State when they're, when they're with a fine-tooth comb trying to figure out who is it, Oregon or Washington. And they get to that Arizona State game and they go, oh my God, they only beat Arizona State <laughs> by seven or eight on a late pick six? They didn't even get into the end zone? Is it possible that that game on Saturday night hurts a one-loss Washington team in that scenario. I'll, I'll go even one step further. I don't even think it hurts. I don't even think it really hurts Michael Penix's Heisman Trophy deal. I think it, he's either the leader or he's right there, and he's going to have a game against USC. He's going to have a game against Utah. Yeah. He's going to have a game against Oregon State. He's going to have the Apple Cup. He's going to have four big games coming up where if he plays well, yeah. how he did in the Arizona State game is going to mean absolutely nothing. So that's my scenario where I wonder 
whether it could somehow hurt a one-loss Washington team. I think in that scenario, if Oregon beats Washington in the Pac-12 championship game, yeah. I think it's a pretty easy decision Oregon goes over Washington. It's a neutral field. Correct. Washington got theirs at home. Yes. So or I, Oregon's the Pac-12 champs now as a result of right. winning yeah. that game. They're yeah. the Pac-12 champs. I hate to tell Husky Washington fans, is not, it's not going to be a tough decision, unfortunately, which is sad because they both have one loss to each other. It feels right. pretty even. But right. Because of the neutral field, they're the Pac-12 champs. Oregon's in. Done. So the Arizona State game won't even be a factor, I don't think. What if Oregon has two losses or somebody in that game has two losses and gives Washington its first loss, and now that team's out. They're not going to go to the big dance with two losses from yeah. the Pac-12. The question is, can a Washington team with one loss being in the Pac-12 championship game go to the Final Four with that Arizona State thing on their record? Or let's say... Washington wins out. They beat USC on the road. They beat Utah here. They lose to Oregon State in Corvallis. Oregon State, very good. good team, Has yeah. that game at home. Yeah. Could beat Washington. Then goes to the Pac-12 championship game and beats whoever is in the Pac-12 championship game. Now you're a one-loss Pac-12 champ, and you're going up against one-loss Oklahoma's, maybe a one-loss Texas. I don't know if Texas still has one loss, but... A one-loss Ohio State-Michigan runner-up. That's right, yeah. You're being compared to all these teams. A one-loss Florida State game. You're being compared to all these teams with one loss. Could the Arizona State <laughs> game on that late October night, Saturday yeah. night hurt? I don't know. I don't know either. Maybe. Know. Maybe. I don't know if, if it – do they really get that deep into bad wins? I, I mean, aren't wins wins? I don't know. Do they, well, I mean, do all the playoff teams, do they, if you look at all their records, do they all go 56 nothing the whole year or do they all have a bad most win? Most of them have a bad win. Right. Most of them have a bad win. Calling it a bad win is funny, but yes. Yeah. Most of them have a bad win. Okay. So I, I don't know is that it, it'll really affect okay, them that good, badly. Good. All right. So there you go. So Sleep well, everybody. So uh, should I just uh, rewind <laughs> everything I just said? <laughs> I don't know, man. That's going to be tough, though, like you said, if that scenario where yeah. Washington and Oregon are in the Pac-12 championship, and Oregon wins. They're going to the playoffs. I can just tell Husky fans now, I'm sorry. That's the way it's going to be. The winner of that game is going. That's right. What you're really saying is the Washington win over Oregon means nothing. Yeah, in, in terms of you're, the playoffs. You're, if you're saying that if Washington, in terms of the playoffs, yeah. you're saying that if Washington and Oregon happen to play one more time where Washington's undefeated, where they both went out from here on in, yep. the game at Washington we spent four hours <laughs> pulling our hair out That's and excited right. and being excited yep. about it. Yep. It means zero. The winner of that game is the is the, is the team that's going. That's right. And they won't Could you have told it. me that the other night? <laughs> that would have been nice. I would have watched. I would have just <laughs> gone out to dinner or something. Condoleezza Rice will not be laboring oh over that God. decision. Is she on the committee still? I don't know. As for the Seahawks. Yes. Are we concerned? They had a chance to beat the Bengals. They didn't beat them. The defense was great. The offense didn't score enough. They're three and two. Then they go and they beat the Cardinals at home in kind of a yeah. ho-hum performance. It is a divisional rival. They did seem to have the game under control most of the day, but those three offensive possessions that had you just scratching your head, yeah. they get to first and goal, what, inside the one? It's 14 to 10. And they get to first and goal inside the one-yard line. And three plays later, it's fourth and goal from like the two, and they have to kick a field goal. Yeah. Then they stop them because the defense is outstanding. They get the ball back. They go right down the field. And on third down, he rolls to his left. He doesn't have anybody. 
and he throws an interception, his worst throw of the game. The defense then stops him again. They get the ball back again, and he fumbles the snap. He never gets the snap, and the Cardinals get the ball. And then the defense comes through again over and over and over. They win the game with a great defensive effort. Three games in a row now, the Giants, the Bengals, and now the Cardinals, where the defense has really taken a big step forward. Two of those opponents are questionable offensively in the Cardinals and the Giants. Yeah, the Cardinals are one and six with a backup quarterback, but yes. I'm in a weird way feeling pretty good. Are you really? Yeah. That it, Explain that, why you are. <sighs> There's no substitute for a defense that you feel like you can count on. Hmm. It's been so long in this town, and it's been forever in the other town that I've been rooting for. Yeah. I have rooted for very few really good defensive teams. Yeah. And if they are this good on defense, and I don't know, but man, you watch 21, the new cornerback. Yeah. You watch 33 when he's healthy. He's been out there making plays. I'm seeing guys in the front seven make plays. I'm seeing Draymond Jones make plays. I thought Jordan Brooks looked great. Jordan Brooks looks like he's back now. You know, they've got the safeties making plays. I don't know. It just... A great defense, if it's a great defense, hides a lot of warts. And if you tell me that our concerns right now are the offense. Yeah. Is Gino going to get it done? Are they going to score in the red zone? Are they going to fix whatever ails them, right? Yep. I'm kind of liking feeling that way. Huh. Because I, I feel like they've got, you know, when DK comes back and he gets his head on straight and he's back. Is you his know, head going to be on straight? I don't know that oh. his head's ever going to okay, be on I was, straight. I thought you knew something we don't know. The running game looks like it could be good. You know, they're still playing with backup offensive linemen. Yeah. They're going to get those guys back. If this defense is as advertised the last three games, I, in a weird way, feel pretty good about the long-range possibilities of this team. I do. Explain pretty and, and good. Four and, and four and two is is perfectly right. acceptable That's... after six games. If you don't look at the actual games individually and break them all down and ask yourself how impressive they were. No, four and two is impressive. You're right. It's fine. And it could four have been five and one. The Cincinnati game was winnable. I mean, it, they're if, still within reach of the uh, 49ers. If, if you and I would have gone over the first six games in July. Yes. And did our predictions of. Would you have had four and two? Maybe. But Maybe, but you would have taken. Four you would have taken it. Yeah. Right. Exactly yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. So. Okay. It feels like people are down on Gino, though. Oh, yeah. People it's hate just... Gino. Well, they hate him when he throws for 400 yards and five touchdowns. <laughs> okay, fair They're enough. They're down on him. Yeah. Okay, good. I mean, does this feel like, a, when you say, does this feel like a playoff team? Like, Yeah. Yeah, it does. Okay. It does. Well, in large part because of the climate in the NFC. I just don't see very many good teams in the NFC. I see Philadelphia yeah. and San Francisco. Yeah. And then I see a whole bunch of other teams. I watched Detroit. Everybody was telling me. Mitch, stop asking who the third best team in the NFC is. Stop asking who the third best team in the NFC is. Everybody knows who the third best team in the NFC is. It's the Detroit Lions, who were down 35-0 on Sunday to the <laughs> to the Baltimore Ravens. Yeah. That's the third best team right. in the NFC. Are the Vikings any good? Cowboys are decent. Are the Rams any good? Are the are the Cowboys good? Really? Are they? Are they? Are they? Are the Commanders any good? Are the Tampa Bay Bucks any good? Are the Atlanta Falcons any good? Right. Falcons. I, I look three, at the Seahawks. Like, if you tell me that this defense is legit and is going to be now from this point to the end of the season one of the top, it looks like a top ten defense to me. Now again, it's Joshua Dobbs. Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. But last week it was Joe Burrow. Yeah. And Jamar Chase. Yeah. And Joe Mixon. And on the road, if you can convince me that this is 
the new Seahawks defense, then I think that they are a clear playoff team, probably a wild card team. I don't know how far they could go. Did the Cardinals even have 225 yards of total offense? Can you look that up? Yeah, I can. I'll take a look for you. 249 total yards for the Cardinals. Okay. So I think Joe Burrow and the Bengals had 214 a week ago. And one week later, the Cardinals have 240. Now, this is 2023. Yeah. Teams have 300 yards by breathing, by right. just running. They have 300 <laughs> yards when they run out of the tunnel right. in 2023. Well, good. I'm, I'm buying my airfare for the Super Bowl tonight after listening to you. No, I'm not telling I'm you to set. buy airfare for the Super Bowl. No. The Seahawks feel completely different. And I am not a Geno basher. I am not a Geno hater. Do I think that Geno is the best quarterback in the National Football League? No. Do I think he's one of the top five? No. Do I think with a good defense that Geno Smith, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, Kenneth Walker, and a healthy offensive line with those tight ends, do I think that that could be good enough with a really good defense to win 10, 10 and 7, 11? I do. And I think 10 is going to be plenty enough in the NFC. We'll get to Mr. Playoffs time in a, in a couple of months. But I think 10 and 7 yeah. is a, a lead pipe cinch to go to the NFC playoffs without how bad that second tier of NFC teams is. The Giants had 248 yards. So, yeah, pretty good. So, 248, I think 214. And then 249. How many teams in the NFL, you'd have to ask somebody a lot smarter than me that knows the numbers, how many defenses in the NFL will have a three-game stretch where they limit their opponents all three in a row to under 250 yards? Under 250, three games in a row. Yeah. 2023, there's no more ground chuck. Like you said, no, it, it, no. 248 yards is like in a quarter Nothing. now. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's yes. Like- <laughs> yes. And, and by the way, with the Cleveland Browns coming to town, probably either Deshaun Watson, who's got a hurt shoulder, or the backup P.J. Walker, another limited offense coming to town on Sunday. Yeah. I don't see any reason why the Seattle Seahawks in their throwback unis this About week. time. In their th- I don't see any reason why the defense doesn't rule the day on Sunday and maybe gives you a fourth consecutive game wow. of an opponent under 250 total yards. When they do the throwbacks, they have to have the sleeves loose. I can't tell you. Do you I remember know. the old days where the, they had the big loose sleeve? Now they're all tight and tapered and the yeah. linemen have them up to here, you know, yeah, to their yeah, yeah. traps. Yeah. But in the 70s and 80s, yeah. they had like the big, long, loose, flowy ones. I, they, they should do that too, but they won't probably. More on the Seahawks, more on the Huskies, other stuff, more on the Kraken as we continue with episode 259. Hey, it's time for a visit with Zeke's president, Dan Black. And Dan, there's an obvious first question here. Does your son, Hank, fully comprehend that he could have been at a national championship contender and Heisman frontrunner had he stayed at home instead of being a trader and going off to Austin, Texas? Does he understand this? <laughs> You're hitting on one of my favorite subjects right now, Mitch. <laughs> this, is a, this is good family uh, trash talk going on right now. Yeah, he does realize it now. He loves being a Longhorn. As you know, Austin's pretty fun. You were just down there. but And, and he's a proud Longhorn, but he, he's, he's a true blue Husky, too. And so 
you know, he was twisted up last year when we beat him in the Alamo Bowl. And now, of course, he's loving what the Huskies are doing. And sure. Longhorns are having a great season, too. But, yeah, let's put it this way. The, the Huskies and the family trash talk the uh, Longhorns. <laughs> Speaking of football season, last time you were on, you told us about a football promotion that you're doing at all the Zeeks. First of all, how's it going? And second of all, how about reviewing how we can participate? Yeah, no, it's going great. Pigskin 10 is super popular. People are using it. Um, and just to refresh what the deal is, is if you use the code pigskin10, you get $10 off your order. Pretty simple. The order needs to be $40 or more before the discount. So $30 after the discount. Right. Uh, but the cool thing is you can use it as many times as you want during the season. There's a limit once per day, but you can use it as much as you want. And so use it whenever you're watching a game, watching the Hawks, the Huskies, whoever. We're getting a lot of orders with it. So it's popular. So it's Thursdays, Saturday, Sundays, Mondays. Is that right? Yep. What we call it football days. So Thursday night football, of course, college games on Saturday, NFL on Sunday uh, and Monday night football. So, yeah, Beautiful. football days. Good, and, good reminder. And the code is pigskin10 for $10 off of all orders. And it's the fall and football season. So do me a favor before you go. Highlight one of Zeke's specialty beers that stands tall this time of year on that incredible menu of selections. Yeah, no, it's it's fresh hop season right now in the fall that coordinates well with football season. And fresh hop means that they take the hops right off the vine, put it right into the kettle. And so you get really a nice fresh hop feel. Mm -hmm. So we got two of them, single hill, lateral A, fresh hop, and uh, varietals, everything is blossom fresh hop. So those are those are the recommended beers right now. That's awesome. Zeke's Pizza from Seattle all the way to Boise, homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. Here's Smith, fires, touchdown! It's Jackson, Smith, and Jigba. Smith with time, throws to the end zone. Bobo, the antenna receiver. Pete Carroll wins the challenge. It's a touchdown for Jake Bobo. Dodds under pressure. Sacked again. But it's great for us here. We're coming around to the halfway point and to have those pups playing like that. They can play like starters. Um, and uh, they did. And so that, that's a great accomplishment through the process. It's what, we're, it's what we shoot for. And so I uh, really, you know, fired up to, to be able to say that. Those guys can go out there and play, and it doesn't matter what's going on or who's in the game or whatever. They'll play like starters. Episode 259, the Seahawks are 4-2 and two after a 20-10 victory over the Cardinals. It's the Note Table presented by Taco Time Northwest, 61 years young, and that means 61 cent crisp tacos on Tuesdays, but only in October. Brian Nemhauser, Hawk blogger, Brady Henderson, ESPN Seahawks insider, Brady it wasn't pretty again offensively, but a third consecutive grade A effort from the defense, I think you'd say. Yeah, it wasn't pretty, but it was pretty gritty by their defense. And, and I mean, this just had the look of a low scoring game uh, the entire way. And by the way, that's a skin for your boy. This first one of the season. Oh, uh, I didn't even know that. OK, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, just with the way. Thank you. With the way that Seattle's defense has been playing with, and with the way their offense, you know, uh, struggled to uh, get the ball in the end zone. And even through the uprights last week, this just this seemed like a low scoring game. And the Seahawks will have tougher tests on defense. They had one last week uh, and they passed it. But when you look at the what they did uh, in week four against the Giants, one of the more dominant defensive performances 
we've seen from that group in a long time. Uh, what they did last week against Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and all them and holding them to only 17 points. And then, you know, again, this is not a very good offense with a backup quarterback and Joshua Dobbs. No James Conner, who's one of their better offensive players. I would say somewhat of a limited receiver core as well. But you held them to 10 points. You did exactly what uh, you hoped to do. I think they still got to fix the penalty problem on defense. Uh, but this this group looks pretty strong. Brian, by my calculation, that's under 250 yards they've given up now in three consecutive games. That doesn't happen very often. It does not. In fact, it's the first time since 2015, the late stages of the Legion of Boom, that that's happened. There's other things about this game that are, are pretty crazy. I mean, if you look at what the Seahawks have done in the last three games, you're talking about a team that's allowing less than one point per drive. They were allowing 2.8 points per drive. So basically, they are three times as good of a defense in terms of limiting opponents per drive. And 19 out of their last 20 drives from opponents have been under 30 yards. So it's been pretty dominant by the defense all the way across the board. They're allowing 10 points per game. There's just a lot to, to like there. And a lot of the points they have allowed. I mean, Mitch and Brady, the last time, the only other time a Seahawks team has won a game by 10 or more points and lost the turnover battle by three or more was in 2003. That's the only other time, and it happened against the Arizona Cardinals. So this is a very rare occurrence. It was a defense one game for sure. Let's put uh, what Brian said into numbers, Brady. In the last 34 possessions, opponents' offensive possessions, the last 34 opponents' offensive possessions, the Seahawks have given up 30 points. As Brian says, that's under one point per possession. You look around the league, there aren't many teams doing that. I don't care whether you're called the San Francisco 49ers, the Philadelphia Eagles, the Pittsburgh Steelers. There's not a lot of teams doing that. That's how good the defense has been. Again, in games one and three of that stretch, limited offensive football teams, the Giants without Barkley and the Cardinals without everybody. Yeah, and you're just really seeing that they've got playmakers at every level right now. And and Boy Mafe, I think, has been, you can't call him a pleasant surprise because he was a second-round pick, but you can certainly say that he has, I think, more than anybody uh, up front taking, or more than anybody, I should say, from that really good draft class last year, is taking a second-year jump. And you know we don't know if Yuchenna Nwosu is going to have to miss time uh, with the pec injury that he suffered in this game on Sunday. But if he does, then... Mafe is going to have to step up. Daryl Taylor uh, is going to have to step up. Even then, you've got playmakers really throughout that defense. Devin Witherspoon had another really good game. Unfortunately yeah. for him, uh, two big plays are not going to count. Uh, the interception and the sack, with which I think they were both negated by penalties that I don't even know if they really impacted the play. You're just continuing to see that he is a, a you know a playmaker on the rise right now. One thing I just want to call out, we're talking about that they've given up so many, so few points in the last three games. Let's not forget three of the points given up against the Cardinals were off of a turnover, right? Three of the points against the Giants was a 55 yard field goal. And so I, I think you've got to realize like there's basically only been a couple of drives in the last three games that any points have been given up. And I don't care. I mean, you can go back one game before those three games. Who did they play? The Panthers. 
that's not exactly a stalwart offense. They gave up 27 points, 378 yards, five yards per play. Mm -hmm. So I think you have to say this defense is playing meaningfully different than it was not so long ago. Yeah, and real quickly to your first point, Brian, three of Cincinnati's points last week came off of one of those interceptions. And so if you eliminate those, then that defense has been even better. And in comes a Cleveland team we'll talk about during the week on the note table that will uh, be released to patrons on Friday. But Brian, another limited offensive team, good defensive team, although that defensive team gave up like 40 points on Sunday, but a limited offensive team. Don't know whether we'll see Deshaun Watson. It may be PJ Walker, mediocre skill position people, a team that here on Sunday in the throwback unis, a defense that's got all kinds of momentum now should be able to really tighten the bolts on. You have to now kind of recalibrate your expectations of the Seahawks team. We came into this season saying this was a bully offense and a defense that you just hope would not blow the game by being so awful. Right. Now, I think you got to look at this and say, this offense is pretty limited right now. Once again, they played without three of their five starting offensive linemen. They didn't play DK Metcalf. Not sure when he's going to be back. Not sure when Abe Lucas is going to be back. And at some point, you just have to kind of acknowledge, all right, the defense is going to have to win now. So I think going into this Browns game, we'll talk more about that later this week. But I think you have to count on the defense limiting that Browns offense to just a few points and hope that the offense cuts out on some of these turnovers so they don't lose it by themselves. Yeah, and Miles Garrett is, you know, he may end up being the defensive player of the year. That's how good he is. That's how dominant he's been. And I think that's especially significant right now with the Seahawks missing Abe Lucas. And Charles Cross is back and he's playing really well, but it does not seem like Lucas is going to get back this week. I know it seemed for a while like, he may have a chance to get back uh, for this Arizona game, and then he didn't practice at all last week. I asked Carroll uh, post game, you know, whether or not they're going to get him back this week, and he said nothing is determined yet. But he did not sound confident at all. I think he said Lucas would have to quote surprise them mm-hmm. uh, in order to make it back. So they may have to go against one of the, if not the best, pass rusher in the NFL uh, with one backup at tackle. So Brian, I don't want to speak for Seahawks fans because they can speak for themselves, and they often do. I, as a Seahawks fan, of course, Brady's not one. This feels a lot different. It's hard to articulate, but I actually feel better about this team that it's the offense struggling and the defense seems to be carrying the water. I I don't know why I feel that way. It's just a different feeling that I've had for years and years going back to to the Legion of Boom. Feeling like, okay, it doesn't matter. That defense can go out there with a short field and they're going to take care of business. Why is it that at four and two, with the roles reversed from what we thought they were going to be to start the season, does it actually feel better this way, at least for me, than it does the other way around? I feel very much the same way. And, and the, I think it comes down to this, Mitch. Football is a game of all parts of the team coming together to add up to what's your best chance to win. And if you have a defense that is limiting opponents to one point per drive, you know, or even somewhere around there, that really lowers the bar for how the, how well the offense has to play to win the, the offense. They, they should have won this game and the last game, right. even though the offense, yeah. you know, really struggled. So 
I think you also look at this offensive team and you see talent. You've seen it before. You've seen them put up 30 points. You saw Geno Smith lead the NFC in passing touchdowns last year. You hope that the offensive line will get healthy at some point. And then if they can all come together and the defense is anywhere close to this, you could have one of those Pete Carroll yeah. finish the year with a flourish kind of teams. So let's go back, Brady, and talk about why this game on Sunday was close. From where I sat, it was close because of three offensive possessions. The first possession of the second half, the Seahawks get to inside the one-yard line. They've got first and goal from inside the one-yard line, and three plays later, it's fourth and goal from the two, and you're kicking a field goal. The defense comes out and does its job. The very next offensive series, they go down the field to about the 20-yard line, and on third down, Geno Smith rolls to his left, and throws a really bad pass, a bad decision, that gets picked off. They get no points on that drive. The defense comes out and does its job again. And then on the third possession, these are three consecutive possessions, by the way, on the third possession, Geno Smith fumbles the snap, and the Cardinals come up with a football. If it weren't for those three consecutive possessions, if those go better... This game's a laugher. In fact, if those go better, Brady doesn't win the skin. Brian or I win the skin, (laughs) right? The game would have been a three-touchdown game if that group of series had gone better for the Seahawks. Yeah, I mean, they just really needed one of them to go better, and that's a two-possession game, and and you get some breathing room. I mean, right. it, the Seahawks, it, it's even when they were down briefly in the first half, it felt like they were in control the entire day. They just couldn't pull away, and, and it just felt like they were waiting to, and the defense kept giving them chances to do that, uh, and they couldn't. And the botch snap, you never know if that's on the center or on the quarterback. I would, if I had to guess, I would probably put it on the rookie center who was making his, you know, first start. But who knows? Now, Geno Smith did say, uh, with regards to the interception, that he got hit as he threw and that it changed the trajectory of the throw. But even then, it was still a bad decision to throw it while he was rolling to his left and the timing and, of the play. And I hate the call. I hate the rollout to the left with about one or two options and the quarterback is going to his left and having to turn and throw the I I just I hate that call on third down. Sorry. I interrupted. Go ahead. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I think the I, part of the idea is you're still in field goal uh, range there. Yeah. And so even if you don't get it, you, you're, you know, it keeps the ball or you throw it away. The last thing you do there is, uh, you know, throw the ball into a tight window and right. get it picked off. And, you know, there was other throws in this game that he got away with. There was one uh, early in the game where it looked like it was nearly picked, but the defender, uh, Kaiser White, dropped it. There was the the throw, I think, later to, George to Noah Fant. To Noah, Noah uh, Fant, not George Fant. Yeah, which was an absolute dime, but it yeah. was also a, an incredibly Into dangerous throw. With, yes. Yeah, yes. with next to no margin for error. I'd be curious to know what the reaction is uh, with his coaches when they review that play, because they're probably going to be telling him that he shouldn't have thrown it in the first place, even though it worked out. But, you know, it was kind of one of those one of those weird games for Geno, and he really expressed that afterwards where – you know, he said it's a win. A win is a win, but it, he said it's kind of a weird feeling because he didn't feel like he played well, and he didn't. I mean, he was 18 at 24, 219 yards. That was his second red zone interception uh, in as many weeks, and that's just um, so, you know, those are mistakes that you can't make. So I find myself asking the same question, Brian, week after week. These red zone difficulties, these offensive struggles, these, these road bumps on offense – 
Is it the guys missing? The offensive line missing? Is it Geno not making good decisions? Is there a scheme problem? Is there a uh, a play calling problem? What's broken about the Seahawks red zone difficulties? It is so hard, Mitch, to tease those apart because I'll give you an example. I don't think the offensive line was as bad in this game against the Cardinals as it was last week, for example. I think the the game against the Bengals was very much on how poorly that offensive line played. But on the play that Brady talked about where Geno threw it over the middle, could have been picked, it was a forced throw, it looked early in this game like he was throwing on a clock in his head. He was trying to get rid of the ball in a certain amount of time. And so these things are all linked. He is trying to adjust to the players he's got in front of them, give themselves a chance. He's got two rookie receivers in yep. there. Yep. It doesn't have as many reps with them. They, they ended up being great parts of the game on Sunday. Right. But it doesn't matter when you've got new guys around you. You're not going to be as confident. You're not going to be as sharp. And so realistically, it's going to take some time. And honestly, I think it's going to take until they have some stability in the offensive line and they start getting reps that way. Any chance, Brady, that the the loss of Metcalf on Sunday might have been a long-term blessing in disguise from the standpoint that it gave some opportunity to some other guys to get some experience and make some plays, another good game for Jackson Smith and Jigba, a really good game, the best ever for Bobo. He gets an opportunity because DK's not in there. And now when DK comes back, hopefully this week against Cleveland, now you've got three, four receivers making plays and having made plays the last few weeks. Yeah, it's it's a good thing, development in that regard also, because I think Metcalf needed the rest. He's been playing through... Uh, you know, the rib injury since week two and then the hip injury from the the Bengals game. And, you know, it was interesting. Carroll sort of volunteered a defense of Metcalf postgame that that seemed to be aimed at shooting down any notion that there was, you know, something fishy going on. He said that shot down any idea that that Metcalf maybe this is my interpretation of it, at least that that Metcalf, you know, didn't do everything that he could to play in this game. And he didn't mention the whole penalty issue and all the hullabaloo from that. But that's to me seemed to be what he was was getting at, which I thought was interesting because I hadn't seen any speculation that that was the case or that it hadn't even crossed my mind. If anything, I I had wondered if uh, the Metcalf not playing was partly because he's seriously hurt and also because maybe partly, you know, some sort of disciplinary thing for the way he handled the the penalty issue. I I don't think that's the case. I think it Mm -hmm. was purely. Uh, because of injury, but I just thought that was an interesting kind of unprompted comment from Carroll. Anything besides Enwosu, Brady, injury-wise? No, Carroll said that they made it out of the game uh, okay injury-wise. The question is, what's the the, the degree of uh, Enwosu's pectoral strain? Taco Time Northwest always likes to pay homage to those doing some work, always looking for new members of the Taco Time Northwest team at tacotimenw.com. And this is an opportunity for all of us to single out one or more people that were doing some work on Sunday, Brian Nemhauser, Hawk Blogger. Sunday, lots of people were doing work, Brian Nemhauser. You get the pick of the litter just because you're the handsome one of the three. You can have anybody, any unit, anybody you'd like. Maybe you'd like to single out 
a guy by the name of Myers for kicking a field goal to put him up two scores. <laughs> Never. <laughs> Never. Never. Uh, look, this one's an easy one for me. For I, you. I, I think Jordan Brooks had the game yeah, of his career really good. Uh, against the Cardinals. I, I thought he was outstanding in this game, and I have not said that very often. I think he is a good player. I think against the Cardinals, he was a great player and he was absolutely doing some work. Yeah, I, I like that one. I might have gone with that one had Brian uh, not taken him. I think at some point there's an interesting conversation to be had about whether you pay Jordan Brooks and what that contract might look like. That's a conversation for another day. On this day, we're talking about who did work. The two rookie receivers, if you're forcing me to pick one of them, uh, I'll, I guess I'll go with Jake Bobo. Four catches, five targets for 61 yards, his second career touchdown. And I mean, what a touchdown it was. That way, you know, it's one thing for Tyler Lockett to make those. Those really difficult, you know, toe tapping sideline catches. Yeah, you know, this is Jake Bobo doing that at six four. Yeah, what his sixth career game, and uh, he just looked like a veteran uh, doing that. And it, uh, look, it was as close as you can get to being an incomplete pass, and that's why it was called an incomplete pass. Uh, you know, credit to Pete Carroll. He does not have the best challenge record as a head coach, but he was two for two in this game, including a successful challenge on that Bobo touchdown. There's Jake Bobo, Bobo was doing some work. There's some real Bobo love for Brady. I think that's two weeks yeah, in a row. Yeah, you love Bobo. He lay, he loved. Did I do Bobo? Bobo? I didn't do Bobo last week, did I? I oh, I did. did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think you did. Yeah, you love yourself some Bobo. Well, more Bobo. I, I would I would just say that because it's the 61st anniversary for Taco Time. And they're giving away 61 cent crisp tacos that I have enough of a budget to fill out the rest of the guys that deserve some doing some work attention. Obviously, Jackson Smith and Jigba got uh, just short end of Brady's stick because Brady's such a Bobo lover. So he gets a 61 cent taco. I thought Ken- I thought Kenneth Walker had a good day. They kept on giving him the ball. It was not easy sledding out there. There were a lot of carries when everybody in the house, including the Cardinals, knew he was getting the ball to try to run some clock and get some first downs. It was a tough day. He's going to be sore tomorrow. He deserves, Brian, a 61-cent taco. Boye Mafe was very good. If it weren't for that penalty that he got going high, trying to deflect the ball, he had some pressure on the quarterback two, three times. I thought Daryl Taylor was his best for the year. I don't know that he was great uh, all around. No? Uh, no, for the, I don't think so. What, okay, what game did he play better? I'm no. saying I don't think he was all that good in this game. No, I, mean, I he, said I said he was his best for the year. I mean, you give the same nope. guy tacos every single week. Should we just give Bobo? <laughs> Bo, let me ask you, if Bobo's inactive next week, will he still make your finalists? For the uh, for the tacos? Uh, yeah, probably. I'll find a way. <laughs> All right. Taylor didn't have the best day. He had a sack and a half. That uh, means something to me. Mafe, Brooks, Walker, Bobo, Jackson Smith and Jigba. I'll go Jamal Adams. Anybody got a problem with Jamal Adams? He seems to be just getting into it a little bit. Each week he's a little bit better. He looks a little bit more involved out there. So I'll, uh, I'll send a taco to Jamal Adams as well as we uh, enjoy the 20 to 10 victory of the Seahawks over the Cardinals to send the Seahawks to four and two. They'll be a favorite over the Browns, probably with a backup quarterback next week, shoulder injury of Deshaun Watson. I don't know that Watson scares you in and of himself. So a great chance, Brian, you get the last word to go to five and two 
after seven games, I think all of us would have taken that when we saw the schedule at the beginning of the year. Yeah, this is a this is a team that has every chance to step forward if they stop stepping on their own feet. <laughs> Very good. That's the uh, Seahawks No Table presented by Taco Time Northwest. Brady Anderson, ESPN.com Seahawks Insider. Thank you, Brady. All right, Bitchy. Thank you. And follow Brian Nemhauser, the Hawk blogger, all week long. Great stuff on Twitter and YouTube. Thank you, Brian. Thanks, Mitch. It's J-Flow time, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Mitch Unfiltered. Jordan Flowers, the Woodenville Office of Cross Country Mortgage. How are you, J-Flow? Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Price is right. Here we go. Oh, I'm great. You're doing all right. Tough times, big numbers, challenging rates. What can you tell us about buying and selling homes these days? You know, rates are high. It is a challenging market, but it is a good market for the buyers we're working with. They are not having to compete still. The rates are elevated, but they are getting homes at prices where they're not having to elevate. So it's a good time for buyers. And real estate is always a great investment during inflationary times to hedge against inflation. So yeah. it's still a good time. And you were telling me before we started about Fannie Mae. Tell our listeners. Yeah. So they just came out about a week ago and uh, made it possible to buy three and four plex properties with 5% down. It used to be 25%. Now, if you're looking to buy a primary residence, as a three or a fourplex, you can put a minimum 5% down. And then the beauty is you can use the other two to three units that you're buying to use the rental income from those and use it as the income to qualify for purchasing that asset. So fourplexes, you can borrow up to one and a half million dollars now in this market. So 5% down on that and use the income from it to purchase it. So great opportunity. And for all of us who need some help, whether you're buying or selling or refinancing, we're going to call the Woodenville Office of Cross Country Mortgage because your team is the best. How do we reach you on your phone? You are calling me or texting me at 425-890-2957. And that's the direct line for Jordan Flowers, the Woodenville Office of Cross Country Mortgage. Great partners in Mitch Unfiltered. Where would we be without them? Unfiltered. It's New Heisel time, Taco Time Northwest. Two more Tuesdays in October, if you include this week, because Halloween is uh, a Tuesday, a Taco Tuesday. 61 cent crisp tacos to celebrate 61 years of incredible service to the Northwest. Richard Gerald Neuheisel Jr., how are we this week? I am well. I am well. Uh, another college football weekend has come and gone, and uh, it delivered again, although it was excruciating for me, some. enduring some of the losses oh. that I saw that just, I it, it pained me, even though it was vicarious. <laughs> it pained me to see how people lost games. All right, I got headlines for you. You can pick one of these to start or pick one of your own. Ohio State wins the battle with Penn State. Marvin Harrison is the star. We've got the uh, the huge upset. Virginia 
goes to Chapel Hill and wins as a 24-point underdog. Washington survives the same late Saturday night, New Eisel, excruciating pain for all of us that were rooting for the dogs, <laughs> having to sit up and watch that. Utah and USC in another classic ends 34-32. We've got the Michigan stealing signs accusation. <laughs> By uh, scouting future opponents, where would you like to start? One of those or one of your own? What do you like? Let's let's start with that uh, Utah SC game. That okay. was uh, entertaining as it could be. Uh, I had anticipated that the Trojans would get off the mat, having looked so bad the week before, giving up five turnovers in South Bend, but uh, still really no scripted offense to speak of it. It almost seems like it's just get Caleb the ball, let him run around and make a play until they can figure out how to be more machine like as an offense. Uh, they're going to struggle and it's a waste of an unusual talent at quarterback. How do you explain that? Because Lincoln Riley is supposed to be the greatest offensive mind in all of college football. At least he's paid like it. How, how do you figure that he doesn't have a specific game plan in mind, and he's just tossing the ball out. It, well, it, as I watch it, it just seems like if he's not throwing a quick, which means as as a shotgun quarterback, you're catching it and throwing it to right. a guy that's going somewhere around four yards down the field, almost everything is off the reservation. He leaves the pocket. He kind of just you know looks around, and everybody's running around trying to find it's what we call the scramble drill. And, and it doesn't look like there's a lot of – planning in terms of what they're trying to get done scheme wise. And to me, that has never been Lincoln Riley's offense. And I'm just wondering if the quarterback has just kind of taken over the show and said, this is how I play. Mm -hmm. When you hear about cheating accusations, sign stealing, we've gone through this in baseball a lot, obviously over the years. Sure. What does that mean to you as a college football coach? So in the early portion of my career, when I got the job at, with Terry Donahue in the 19, uh, late 80s, this was all part of the plan, right? You would send a coach off to do a, a scout. He'd go to the opponent and, you know, take his notepad and give you personnel things that he saw, substitution issues that he saw that might be of uh, note for us in the upcoming week. So this was all part of it. In the early 90s, they got rid of that as a cost-cutting measure. Well, there's no need to cost-cut given the immense amount of money that's coming in. To me, this is very much about very little, but the fact that somebody's going there and videotaping, if in fact there's they find evidence that he's videotaping. Mm -hmm. You remember Todd Graham, the head sure. coach at uh, sure. Arizona State? His sure. son was suspended oh. by the Pac-12 for videotaping from the press box oh. opponent signals. And it became a big story in the Pac-12. There's been other issues of this in the past. Art Bryles had a son-in-law that was, you know, advanced scouting and got in trouble. The reason this is a big story is it's Jim Harbaugh. That's right. It's it's That's it's right. Jim Harbaugh. It's Again. Michigan. They've been after him for allegedly having the recruits on campus and buying him cheeseburgers when he shouldn't have been doing so. This is this is uh, one of those things where the rest of the league wants to pin down Jim. Is this minor and stuff? This is it's minor stuff. It's, is it, it's, it's minor when, stuff when in you, my mind. When you put it all together and it's always Jim Harbaugh, people are wondering, is this going to, is this going to scare him off to the NFL? Is he long for Michigan? Is he long for college football? I think he's tired of all this and I think he'll take an NFL job and I have my eye on the Chicago bear job. 
Uh, I think the Chicago Bear job where he played quarterback once, I think is a perfect fit for him. And I would be not surprised at all Mm -hmm. if he's the next uh, head coach for those uh, beloved Bears. I asked you about Ohio State, Penn State, and Michigan last week to rank them in, in order, one, two, and three. Two of them played on Saturday, Rick. What'd you learn about Ohio State? What'd you learn about Penn State? We already knew that Marvin Harrison is pretty good. Marvin Harrison's a big timer, and I think Kyle McCord's getting better, but what was impressive was the Ohio State defense, as was the Penn State defense. The Penn State defense is championship caliber. What's not championship caliber yet is Drew Aller. Uh, He is, you know, struggled on the road. He was less than 50% when they traveled to Champaign. He was 18 for 42 Saturday. So this is one of those deals that... uh, I have to see more from the Penn State offense if I'm going to call them championship caliber. Now, they'll play Michigan at home in Happy Valley where that crowd will factor into that game and it'll be really Michigan's first test of the season. Right. We've, they've been just running through people like a hot knife through butter. Uh, so I don't know that uh, we'll know much about Michigan mm. other than they're really talented until after that uh, game so, in Beaver Stadium. So where do the, uh, the Ohio State's Michigan's fit with Georgia and the Pac-12 teams will get to Washington's troubles on Saturday night in a moment. How do all these teams fit together? Are we back to deferring to Georgia as the best team in in college football, or are we not there yet? I don't think we have a marked best team in college football. I don't think it's there. I think we've seen warts on everybody. Georgia was behind both South Carolina and Auburn. Right. I mean, behind at halftime. The only team we haven't seen look at all vulnerable is Michigan. They have been dominant, but they have played nobody. And so in playing nobody, you have to just wait and see, which will be that Saturday in November when they get to Happy Valley. I also asked you last week on this show if North Carolina's for real, and you said yes. And that <laughs> and that was their official undoing. That yes, uh, yes was their official undoing. Virginia, a 24-point underdog, pulls the upset in Chapel Hill, Rick. Sleepwalking, yeah, because Tony Elliott's team, while – competitive isn't good enough to beat North Carolina when North Carolina's right. Mm-hmm. And they just weren't. This is part of college football. It's what makes it so fun is that you have weekends where you're just not at your best. Certainly that will be is the case with the Huskies. Certainly that was the case with uh, North Carolina. You just have to be at your best if you're going to compete with uh, the teams in college football. It's just it's a, it's a mandate. And if you can survive them, then you certainly get that threat of what yeah. could be if you don't yeah. get ready next yeah. week. Yeah. And so hopefully uh, the Huskies learn that lesson after being anemic offensively against Arizona State. So there it is. You told me before we started that you stayed up on the East Coast to the very bitter end. I don't know how you did it. Washington somehow escapes. It looked bad for the longest time. You said to me before we started to record, Mitch, this was the this was the best thing for Washington. I, I want to know how this happens because, look, I don't know about point spread upsets and what goes down as the biggest upset in Washington football history. Maybe this doesn't. I think they were 26 or 28 point favorites. No, that was back when Oregon State was a 38 yes, point yes, underdog. Yeah, I've yes. heard about that. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, I mean, when you look at, for, forget about 38 point underdogs, look at this game. One team is very much 
in the national champ, undefeated in the national championship picture with the Heisman Trophy candidate and everything going in the right direction. The other team is one in five, and they've beaten one team called Southern Utah Thunderbirds. I don't even I don't even know who the Southern Utah Thunderbirds are. <laughs> so maybe not from a point spread perspective, Rick. But just from of where these teams are, the games in Washington after they beat Oregon, I mean, this was this had colossal, colossal flop written all over it, and yet Washington gets through it. Why do you think it was a good thing for Washington? And I'll ask you about the fallout, if there is any, from a close call win against an under undermanned opponent. Let me use the analogy of a guy learning to fly a plane, all right? A guy learning to fly a plane, if he feels like, oh, I've got this, right? I'm so ready to take this plane and go wherever I want and what fun it will be, what freedom I have as a uh, newfound pilot. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden he gets into weather and he gets into stuff that he'd never done before. And he's like, holy smokes, let me just get down to the ground. If I just get down to the ground, I'll practice more. I'll be more ready. I'll be more attentive. And he gets it, gets the plane on the ground, but it, it scared the heck out of him. He's going to be a better pilot for having had that experience. He'll take it seriously. All that goes with it. The same is true with the Huskies. They will take their preparation more seriously. Having been through this scare, that was Arizona state. They will understand that they can't get caught up in the attaboys that are being distributed around campus. How much fun that was. Oh my goodness. And then get to a stadium. Well, oh, this is kind of more routine, more mundane. Let's uh, just kind of do what we do and we'll get on with it. Mm. They have to take this seriously each and every time they prepare. And they'll have a great opportunity to do that when they go to the farm uh, this next week, because there won't be any people there. <laughs> they have to do it on their own. They have to muster their own enthusiasm, their more, their own uh, attention to detail. And they learned that lesson this week. Their offense was stuck in the mud. They were anemic. Uh, and the other great thing that happened in this game for the Huskies as they go down this road trying to get to a championship and hopefully a berth in the college football playoff is their defense rose to the occasion and won the game for them. They were the defense gave them the, the, the deciding touchdown. And when your defense gives the deciding touchdown, there's more of a galvanization in that locker room. There isn't just, hey, it's uh, Michael Penix, Romo Dunze, and these other receivers and the rest of us. You name a band where there's a headliner and everybody else, Gladys Knight, right? And everybody else is the pips. Right? <laughs> this isn't just Gladys Knight and the pips. Uh-huh. Now we have Gladys Knight and the defense and the pips, right? So this is uh this is a really big win. And I'm sure Kalen DeBoer will use it as motivation of what could have been had you not gotten lucky here. Yeah. But let's not get this close to the edge again. We always complain, Rick. Those of us on the West Coast, you probably did so when you were coaching West Coast teams that nobody in the East even sees our games late at night when we play at 730. Nobody even sees them. Is that a good thing for Washington this week? Do they do they benefit <laughs> that everybody not named Rick Neuheisel on the East Coast went to bed far far before the end of this game and will just see the results in the newspaper. Does that help or hurt? That's an excellent point, by the way. Sometimes it hurts you. <laughs> you know, you don't get the uh, bump by your excellent play late at yeah, night. Yeah. And sometimes it might just get by the umpire. <laughs> you never saw it. <laughs> and uh, this but, might work in their favor. Well, because I'm wondering about the consequences. 
as I sat up last night and watched it, I went to bed and I said to myself, well, look, if, if Washington goes undefeated, we all know. If Washington goes undefeated, they're going to be in the college football playoff. That's so 15-7 right. so over Arizona, a very bad Arizona State team doesn't hurt them in that regard. It has no impact in that regard. An undefeated team is going whether they beat them 38-0 or they beat them 15-7. But there are other questions, like a one-loss Washington team. At the end of the day, could that committee come into the room and see a one-loss Washington team and analyze them, and somebody says from the corner of the committee room, hey, not only do they have one loss, but how about that Arizona State game? I didn't see it because I went to bed, but is this right? They only beat Arizona State 15-7. to Could that hurt them when somebody is bringing up for conversation a one-loss Washington game, or will it not bother them at potentially, all? Potentially, but I think – nationally the Pac-12 has gotten so much accolade yes. in terms of their prowess and how many teams are competitive in this last dance of the Pac-12 that I don't think it will hurt them as it might have in years past. I think they'll get by it and the committee doesn't convene until next weekend. Their first uh, rankings will come out on Halloween night. Mm -hmm. uh, so if they atone, and play well on the farm against Stanford and show that they're as powerful as we all believe them to be, I think they can uh, get this behind them. I mean, Georgia has that Auburn game. That wasn't very good. Florida State has that Boston College game. So everybody's got this kind of okay. survive and advance okay. type of uh, weekend on their resume. How about the quarterback? The quarterback throws two interceptions, does not throw a touchdown. He doesn't guide the offense into the end zone. The only touchdown they score, as you point out, is on defense. In a highly renowned CBS uh, seasonal preview show, you, uh, you picked Quinn Ewers to win the Heisman. You listed two or three other guys not named Michael Penix. I haven't let you off the hook for that, but maybe I should after what I saw last night from my candidate to win the Heisman. Is he still, in your eyes, the front runner for an undefeated Washington team? And maybe that's a good reason it was late night television. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe that's a good reason. Because still fresh in the mind of these uh, Heisman voters is that epic performance against Oregon. And certainly stages lie ahead. Yes. Right? Yes. He'll be uh, front and center Utah. with uh, Caleb yeah. Williams. Yeah. And, and uh, here comes Utah. Right. Uh, if Utah were to knock off Oregon this weekend, I mean, that's going to be a huge game. So still many stages uh, for Michael Penix to uh, atone for what was a sub by his own standard, a subpar performance. Which brings us to Taco Time Northwest paying homage to those that love to do some work each and every week with uh, Rick Neuheisel. We shine the spotlight sometimes on men, sometimes on women, sometimes the nameless First down marker men, uh, people that have no <laughs> names. And I ask you each and every week when we decide to to shine that light on somebody special in the world of college football, I always ask you, do you want to kick or do you want to receive, Neuheisel? I want the ball. 
Okay. I want the ball. Okay. I, I have a uh, a hero that oh, uh, needs nice. needs uh, to come from the shadows okay. and become a headliner in okay. the world of uh, no longer a pip, if you will. Okay, <laughs> he's going to be his own Gladys Knight in this particular segment. Okay, Jose Pizano. Do you know who, who no. Jose Pizano is? Should I? Well, you will. Am I going to be embarrassed? Am I going to be embarrassed when you I will now? Okay. Jose Pizano is the field goal kicker oh. for the UNLV Running Rebs. Oh, they. Win win 25-23 over Colorado State with three seconds left. He knocks not his first, not his second, not his third, not his fourth, not his fifth, his sixth field goal of the game. <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> Jose Pizano was doing some work. Talk six about for six uh, oh. in a victory. And you would not know this, but I'm going to tell you that UNLV is now six and one oh, on the season. Really? Six and one. Their only loss at Michigan. And Pizano is 18 of 19 on the season with victory kicks, not only over Colorado State, but also oh. knocked off the SEC's Vanderbilt there in Allegiant Stadium. So, uh, I, listen, Jose Pizano was doing, doing some, some taco time work. And he gets a crisp taco or three or four for 61 cents. By the way, I'm just trying to think of great players that came out of UNLV. I can remember Keenan McCardell. He was a wide receiver go. for UNLV. I can't recall the, anybody. The great, the, the great quarterback uh, for the Eagles, Randall Cunningham. Oh, Randall Cunningham, yes. Yes, Randall UNLV. Cunningham, yeah. So I thought when you took the ball that the obvious one would be 11 catches, 170 yards, and a touchdown for the great Marvin Harrison Jr., whose father, whose pops, sure. went to where? Where did the pops go to? New Harvard? Syracuse, yeah. the Harvard of the uh, Central of, New York. Uh, Central, Central New York, New York. Yes. exactly. You got that. So I thought you would take him off the board, and then you you crossed me up with the kicker from UNLV. So, oh, so, uh, so six field goals, including the winner for Jose Paisano. Jose Paisano. <laughs> so now I'm left wondering whether Marvin Harrison is going to feel snubbed by both of us if we don't give him a taco time who was doing some work award but i can't do it new heisel i can't do it okay who you got somewhere in las vegas nevada i'm gonna stay in the same town where you are holy doing smokes somewhere in las vegas nevada a group of people have the balls new heisel <laughs> the intestinal fortitude to make the over-under on the Minnesota-Iowa game 30. <laughs> now, to put that in its proper perspective, that's the lowest over-under in like since they've been doing over-unders in a major college football game. 30 was the over-under. And did it go over or did it go under 30, the Minnesota-Iowa game? 12 to 10. You, we, you could be stealing money by just taking Iowa unders. Somebody, you could be stealing money. There were I'm a, so angry at myself for not being on that trend. Well, there's got to be a million people in Vegas that are sitting there in sports books saying, 30, we'll take the over on 30. We'll have that before the end of the first half. Final score, 12 to 10. And by the way, final score, 12 to 10. Wasn't there a punt return at the end of the game? This is this is where the egregious <laughs> losses start to mount in my soul. Oh, They had a punt return, Mitch. Yes, I saw a it. A punt yeah. return, go for a touchdown. I'm sitting there as he's running. I'm going, go down on the two. So you kick the field goal. Don't give him a chance to come back. Right. They And all of a sudden they look to see if he stepped out of bounds. But as they review the play, 
they see that he waved his arm in some way. Yeah. It was a poison call, right? It's yeah. that call where you try to alert your teammates that the ball's going to be on the ground. Right. I can't field it. Right. And they called that a fair catch. And it uh, obviously giving the ball back to the offense was like, you know, taking the poison pill. That's right. And it was over. <laughs> yeah. So let me ask you a question. Had they allowed that punt return score to count? The final at, probably at that point would have been 17 to 12, New Heisel. Still under ball. <laughs> so how do, we not, how do we not send some crisp tacos, some 61 cent crisp tacos to the folks in Vegas, Rick, <laughs> who had the intestinal fortitude to put 30 on the board and then watch the game go under 30 in an over-under <laughs> sense. That, that, I have to say, sorry to Marvin Harrison, odds makers in Vegas to me earn my uh, doing some work award from Taco Time. Uh, oh, my goodness. You know, it's those folks in Vegas that are all concerned about this uh, this scouting deal. Yeah. They want to make sure that yeah. no one doesn't have any, some inside hey, information sure. as to what's being called. Sure. Which also brings us to Rick's picks. And uh, after a great year last year, we have fallen. We have fallen to two and four on Mitch's show anyway. He had Clemson. You told me that Miami's season is over after the call not to go on one knee. You had a 17-7 lead. If you were right about Miami mailing it in, you would think that when they were down 17-7 in the wake of all of this, they would have just said, enough. No moss in the words of Roberto Duran, but they didn't. They came back and they won the game in overtime and made you a loser for having Clemson <laughs> minus the points, which means you are two and four on the year. So where does CBS Sports college football Paisan analyst go this week? for a, uh, a shot to get back to within one of 500. What do you do? This is my Jose Pisano pick <laughs> because uh, I'm going to nail this one. Okay. Right down the middle. Right down the middle. I am taking uh, the Oregon Ducks. They oh, travel oh. to Utah. Utah has been fantastic uh, at home. Rice Eccles is a house of horrors for the visiting team, but not this week. Dan Lanning is going to get his ducks to play beautifully in uh, Rice Eccles. They're a three-point favorite, I think. Give me the ducks to get the Utes. I still they're they're officially uh, shutting down Cam Rising. He won't play, and I like uh, the ducks in this one. So that means you kind of like the ducks to get through this with one loss, and maybe into the Pac-12 championship game. I think for we're a getting rematch. a rematch. Getting I think we're getting a rematch oh, in uh, in Las Vegas. Oh boy. And I hope so. I do it's, too. The, it's the perfect way to yeah. send out the Pac-12. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, Rick Neuheisel, see him on CBS, his college football package, and uh, hear him all over town, including right here on Mitch Unfiltered. Thank you, Rick. See you, Mitch. Here we are again with Fireside Home Solutions owner John Waterstrat. How are you, John? Doing great, Mitch. Thank you very much for having me on again. It's nice to have you back. Football season in full swing. That means a few things, like it's time to evaluate your old fireplaces, chilly temperatures around the corner. Question, 
How do I know if I need a new one? Is it appearance, functionality, or both, John? It's probably a little bit of both. We always talk to people about, hey, how long have you had this fireplace? You know, what's your usage on that? Just taking a look at it. If it just doesn't look like it's doing what you want it to do, call us up. We can have one of our service technicians come out and do mm-hmm. a quick evaluation, give you some recommendations. And if that fireplace is and it just needs to be refreshed, we'll do that for you too. If it needs to be replaced, they'll hook you in with one of our sales staff and we'll get that taken care of for you. Is it a little more complicated if I want to incorporate a fireplace into an area of my home that's never had one? To be honest, yes, I think it's a little harder, but it's not a full remodel. You have to kind of decide on what you want. If you don't have a fireplace and you want to do something freestanding, have that done in a day. If you want something framed up, be there and kind of be part of your room. We can help you with that. We have contractors that can help you with that. We can look at the fireplaces and see what you would want. And then we can hook you in with the contractors that do the tile and other things that are available. So I know you want us to come out to one of your showrooms. I'd like to know about the reaction to that newly remodeled Bellevue location, John. Yeah, it's been great. It's been uh, inspiring for all of us. Uh, I love people to walk in and see that first fireplace we have in there. It's a fireplace that has glass on all four sides. It's almost like a floating fireplace. Wow. You'd be wowed by it. But uh, yeah, just come on in and be inspired and you yeah. could be a kid in a candy store. <laughs> John Waters, Strat Fireside Home Solutions, just a terrific part partner of Mitch Unfiltered and the presenting partner of our fourth annual Beat the Boys competition this football season. Where would we be without John and FiresideHomeSolutions.com? Hey, look who it is. Katie Versio, the director of financial planning, Evergreen Golf Call. Hi, Katie. The market's up. How's everything at Evergreen? I'm doing well, Mitch. Thanks for having me. Everything here is going well. How are you doing? Everybody is good here. I'm ready for the new trivia quiz. The theme today is what? Today we're doing a economic and market update. I'm revisiting some of the questions we discussed at this time last year and just seeing how things have changed. Questions that I undoubtedly missed at this time last year. Year. I'll try to get some answers right, and I'm ready for question number one from Evergreen Golf Call. So the Federal Reserve started increasing interest rates in March of 2022 in an effort to cool inflation and slow down the economy without tipping us into a recession. How many times has the Fed raised rates since March of 2022? Is it seven times, nine times, or 11? It's a lot. I'm throwing seven out. It's either nine or 11. 11 sounds extremely high. I'm going to go nine. So it actually is 11 times. the fastest tightening cycle on record where interest rates have increased significantly. Now we see the two year treasury around 4.8%. So while we don't know what will happen moving forward, if they're going to raise again, if they'll pause or if they'll cut, we think now is a good time to lock in yields on fixed income. And of course, Mitch is in a familiar spot. Oh, for one, I'm ready for question number two. Okay. So in June of 2022, the inflation rate was 9.1%, the highest rate in four decades. What's the current inflation rate as of June 2023? Is it 3%, 4%, or 5%? Well, it's way down, but I don't think it's down to 3 so I'll go 4% B again. It's actually 3%. So 
inflation has come down significantly over the last 12 months. In addition, unemployment has stayed low under 4%. Right now it's under 3.6%. What they've been doing appears to have had some effect on these markers. And there I am at 0 for 2. I'm probably staring at another 0% in the face. I'm ready for question number three. Have a little mercy on me, would you please, Katie? <laughs> All right, I'm giving you an easy one this time. So it's a true or false. Okay. Both stocks and bonds are up in 2023. Absolutely true. I'm going to get one right, Katie. Ding, ding, ding. That's right. So stocks are up 19% and bonds are up a little over 2%. So this is following the worst year on record for a balanced portfolio that I know we've talked about in the past. So it's been a strong start in the first half of the year. All the ups and downs over the last many years make this a great time to learn more about my partner, Evergreen Golf Call, a one-stop shop for all of your investment needs. Learn about them at evergreengk.com unfiltered from the depths of the standings in year one to the base of that playoff mountain in year two the seattle Kraken have placed their very first spot in the stanley cup playoffs are back together. The Kraken were valiantly eliminated from a deep postseason run in the 22-23 season. And now I wait, as a lot of us do, for the alarm clock to go off in 2023. Boys, thanks for being back. Darren, we'll start with you. The Sound of Hockey, 1-4-1. It's not only that they're losing games. They're going to play a lot of games. But as a guy who doesn't know hockey like me, I'm looking at these games. They're blowouts. They're not even close in many of these games. Did you see any of this coming? How do you put your finger on what the heck's going on with the Kraken? Well, uh, yeah, as we wait for the alarm clock to go off, I think alarm bells have been going off already. Um, I'm I'm concerned because there's just no offense right now. And I think they had one game two games ago where where they had an outburst of goals. And um, that was against a Carolina team that was very banged up. They had a lot of injuries. Their starting goalie wasn't playing. Their two best players weren't playing. Um, But still, I mean, it was like, all right, there we go. The, The floodgates are open. But then they went back to their their rather anemic offensive way last night here against the New York Rangers and frankly that was one of the worst offensive performances they've had statistically in their history um, and so that is that is very concerning they're they're not playing up to their standard right now I don't think I would say I saw it coming I think coming into the season I was a little worried that we'd see a regression they didn't do anything during the offseason to really um, like bring in a star player or anything like that to really make them better offensively and a lot of players had career years last year so I saw a little step back coming hopefully they figure it out though because right now it's it's yeah. uh, not looking too good I want to get RJ's answer to the same question, but Darren, hold that thought because I want you to evaluate what they didn't do during the offseason and explain to me why. But RJ, 
What's going on over there? Well, I think the lack of goal scoring has to be the start of everything, right? Uh, they're just not scoring goals in the way they used to last season. And that was in the large part due to depth contributions. Uh, the fourth line, and I'm sure Darren will talk about this later, the fourth line is completely different and they provided a lot of excess goal scoring for the Kraken last season. You're not seeing that now. But yeah, a dramatic drop in shooting percentage that really when you look at the bigger picture is not sustainable really for any team, just how... Uh, unlucky they've been shooting the puck, I suppose. Uh, and so that should turn around at some point. But right now it's it's just been a dramatic difference. But also the concerning part, too, is I think things have still been pretty bad defensively. Goaltending has really been the one strength of this team. and We're not necessarily used to that. Darren, you talked about the offseason as you said it. I started thinking about the Seattle Mariners. We're always complaining that the Mariners don't do enough in the offseason to make their team better. Why do you think with the Kraken? Is it a salary cap thing? Did they think they were better than they are? Did they rest on their laurels? And before you give an opinion on that, maybe you can tell me and our listeners, what did they do? Who are the departures? Who are the significant acquisitions? Sure. So the the departures, as RJ just alluded to, were the whole fourth line. So Ryan Donato, Morgan Geeky, Daniel Sprong, they all left. Carson Soucy left. Uh, They brought in Owen Martin-Jones. They brought in, um, let's see, Brian Dumoulin to replace Soucy. They brought in Pierre-Edouard Belmar. They brought in Kyler Yamamoto. They brought in, uh, who am I forgetting, RJ? Ty Karchi gets more of a full-time role. That's right. So he steps up. They signed Devin Shore, who they initially signed to the, or assigned to the um, Coachella Valley Firebirds, but he's been called up. So he's sort of on the team right now. Okay. I thought that they would make one sort of splash, whether that was with a, an Oliver Bjorkstrand type of trade that they did last year, or um, they were going to sign a free agent. And clearly as we got into training camp, it was like, all right, well, nothing's happening here. They're not making any, any big moves, right? They replaced who they needed to replace uh, with, I think more of a defensive angle, right? Pierre-Edouard Belmar is a really good defensive player and a good face-off guy. I think what they were thinking was, all right, Andre Burakovsky's coming back. Uh, we didn't have him for a full season last year. Ellie Tolvanen, uh, they picked him up kind of at the midway point. They never had both those guys really in the lineup for any extended periods. So on paper, if you looked at it, they were a little bit deeper coming into the season with Burakovsky and Tolvanen in the lineup for the full year. Mm-hmm. Well, now that's changed and uh, they haven't I don't know. They just haven't uh, clicked the way that they were last season. Now, they did get out to a slow start last season, too. It wasn't until they went on that that huge run with a, um, there was a road trip East like Coast. midseason yeah. Yeah, where they ripped off a bunch yeah. of uh, wins. And then all of a sudden it was like, OK, they're competing now, but it took them a while to get there. So maybe that still happens and, and maybe it's just early season slump here. But um it is concerning, definitely. Yeah. And they, yeah, they just I, I was hoping that they would do something to the top of the lineup, which would have made, you know, some of the better players trickle down to the third and fourth lines to replace that way, as opposed to bringing in right. fourth line players. Um, they didn't do that. Now, there is I mean, there are salary cap concerns, certainly, um, but they have some room. So I don't know. I will add there are salary cap concerns for this season. There wasn't a whole lot of room to add under the cap a high end player. And you're kind of seeing that in the fact that they're pretty close to the cap right now this coming off season so after this season things are really going to clear up and ron francis is going to have a lot of flexibility to make whatever big addition he wants to make but for this season he was kind of hemmed in by a few contracts that are on the last year of the books you guys talk about how they're not scoring and i think the numbers are 
one goal or less in four of the five games so far as the Kraken, where with the Kraken no table, start one, four, and one, Darren and RJ. Let me bring up the name Shane Wright, and I'm sorry if this is a wet behind the ears question, Darren. I just know the name. I know that he's supposed to be something special down the line. Is it is it premature for me to wonder why he's not playing for the Kraken and he's playing in the AHL? No, I think a lot of people expected him to jump right in and have a Matty Beneers type of arrival. He's had a really weird development run. You know, he had a whole season in the OHL canceled. Um, he hasn't like burst onto the scene the way that I think people hoped he would. And he needs AHL time. So I was I was glad that they were able to find a way to assign him. Technically, he wasn't eligible. He needed one more game in the OHL last year to be el- eligible for the AHL. Uh, he didn't get it. So the Kraken actually got an exemption to be able to assign him to the AHL. And that's what he needs. So I'm I'm not surprised by it. I also don't think that having him in the lineup solves their offensive woes at the NHL level. He's okay. you yeah. know when we saw him last year, he looked like he's pretty close to being ready for the NHL, but he's not ready to like be a star. You know he's not going to push the push the envelope. One player I do think could theoretically push the envelope offensively is Riker Evans, and I think uh, I don't know from from RJ's look, he might have a, a thought or two. Okay, on that as let's well. uh, let's talk but, about Riker Evans, RJ. Uh, yeah, Riker Evans had a really strong training camp and preseason offensively minded defenseman kind of brings an element that no one else on the team does aside from maybe a Vince Dunn, probably the best power play quarterback the Kraken have in the organization not just in the future potential, but probably right now. Uh, and he certainly looked that way in the preseason. He's starting the season with the Coachella Valley Firebirds, but uh, he's got to be the first call up. You'd think if there's any injuries, I know Darren, you predicted him to make the opening right ro- night roster, given how he was playing, right? Uh, yeah. Didn't work out just based on the contracts and the players that they had there. But if you're looking for a spark offensively and certainly on a power play, that's been struggling quite a bit. Uh, the power play has been a big part of the goal scoring issues. Riker Evans might be one to try and bring up. So Darren, uh, again, a Mariners analogy. When the Mariners aren't scoring, we all wonder as Mariner fans, what can they do besides wait for the current guys to start scoring? You guys just talked about they need to start clicking offensively with the players that they have. But we also ask the questions of, all right, where can they go to get other players? Where can they go to get other help? Well, there's the minor leagues for the Mariners, or there's going out before the trading deadline and acquiring talent from other teams. I'm sure it's way too early to start asking that question. Or are we in a situation where, Darren, we just have to wait as Kraken fans for the guys that are on the current roster to start playing up to their baseball cards, the back of their baseball cards. Yeah, I think it's most likely you're going to see the baseball card scenario. There may be a chance for a guy like Riker Evans to come up and, and try to provide a spark. Um, I mean, last season they did claim Ellie Tolvanen off waivers also, and he was a huge impact player for them down the stretch. You never know. They might try to do something like that. They've been active on the waiver wire before, and I mean, that was happened to be one of the best waiver pickups of all time in season. So, I mean, he was he was phenomenal for the Kraken down the stretch. I don't know if they'll be able to pull something like that off again, but I also don't think they're quite at that point yet. I would I would give them another I don't know, maybe another month before yeah. people really start panicking. But right, right. Um, it is it's getting to a point, though, where it's like, you know, eventually you you have to dig yourself out. You can't put yourself in such a deep hole. And um, people talk about Thanksgiving being a big marker for whether or not teams are going to make the playoffs. And if you're like dead and buried at Thanksgiving, your chances of making the playoffs are almost nil. So um, they need to they do need to start racking up some wins. Um, but I don't think they're quite at that point yet. I think it's still kind of a wait and see for for people to, you know, every player 
player on the team right now seems to be in a slump. So let's get a couple of those guys out of it and, uh, yeah, and see if they yeah. can get things going. The right RJ, way. how about Cartier? Uh, he's a guy who did not really figure into the regular season at all last year. He was more of a postseason guy, and now you get a full year of him. Do you feel like uh, he should be adding more to the equation in the early going? Yeah, and I think he might actually have an opportunity to do that with Andre Burakovsky potentially being out yeah, longer now. term. Yeah. Haxtell gave an update on him after the last game, said he didn't think it'd be anything short term. So that kind of opens up a spot in the top six. And uh, Ty Karche has slotted in there very briefly a couple games ago, playing on that first line like we saw in the playoffs with Matty Beneers and Jordan Eberle. And the chemistry just clicked immediately. They were right back to kind of where they were in the playoffs, it felt like. And he's been one of the more impressive Kraken forwards, I think, uh, over this you know, season and I think he deserves a little bit more opportunity even a couple games ago standing up for a teammate uh, who who got hit you know, for Jared McCann steps in and fights a guy who was pretty overmatched in that fight but the rookie stepping up I like to see that leadership from him um, so I think going forward maybe he should get a little bit more opportunity some more ice time yeah. RJ let me double down on that you talked about the fighting in the game on Saturday night against the Rangers as I understand it I didn't see it lots of skirmishes almost out of character, anger, frustration from the Kraken. Do they need to fight more? Do they need to you know, drop the gloves more? There are people in this town who say, this is a soft Western Conference team. You can bully the Kraken. Can you bully the Kraken? I think the Rangers showed last night that yes, you can right now. And it's not necessarily, I think that they need to fight more or go just have a lot of more of those staged fights. But when you have the other team taking liberties with your players, as the Rangers were last night, you need somebody to go step up and send the message. That's not okay. I mean, Yanni Gord to his credit did kind of try to stir some things up, but didn't really strike fear into any of the Rangers. Uh, and then ultimately you have a hit that by Vincent Trocek on um, Brian Dumoulin, Hurts Dumoulin. He's really slow getting off the ice. I know some Kraken players thought that he kind of left his feet on the hit. And ultimately, it ends up being Jared McCann who goes after Vincent Trocek and fights him in response to this hit. And why Jared McCann is the guy who's doing this, your leading scorer, your star player, mm -hmm. risking his hands in a fight, you know, his, his hands that you need to score goals. Mm -hmm. That just tells me you need somebody else to step up at that point. And I think that is a bit of an issue for the Kraken right now. Darren, what do you think? Is there a little brother problem with the Kraken around? the league there it's not really their game and you know they're a, they're a quick team and i just i don't know that like fighting has that much of a place anymore but also there is a, a moment where you need somebody to just like go take care of things you right, know and right, right. they have jamie alexiak that's not really his game he's a big guy and but i i would have likes to see somebody go after Jacob Truba last night after he injured Andre Burakovsky. Now, I don't think that it was necessarily like the dirtiest hit. He shoved him at a spot that you're not supposed to shove a guy because it's it's dangerous, right? It is boarding. That is a penalty. But I mean, at the end of the day, like Truba's had a lot of really questionable hits in this league. And if he sends one of your players out who uh, missed half the season last year with an injury, he comes back, plays five games, gets injured again with what we think is going to be long term now. You know, you would like to see somebody step up there. And similarly, you know, in the Colorado game, right? Uh Jordan Eberle was almost forced to fight Logan O'Connor in the first few minutes of the game. Kale McCarr didn't fight anybody, right? This is carryover from last season's playoffs. There was there was some stuff that happened there. Jordan Eberle hurt Andrew, Andrew Cogliano. Um, Kale McCarr hurt Jared McCann. There was no real answer that had to happen for Kale McCarr. Now, I, I did see, and um, I didn't see it happen in the game, but somebody said that uh, Yanni Gord, I believe, went after Kale McCarr, and Kale McCarr didn't do it or didn't accept it. But that doesn't really align 
line for me, right? Like somebody's got to just go after him there if if he's not going to respond. That's just kind of how it works in hockey. See, so to me, it's not as much about the game that they're playing. And I don't know this to be true. You could just tell me that I'm all wrong. It's not as much about the Rangers game on Saturday night as it is a message to the rest of the league. You can't come in here and just go after our, our top guys with no ramifications. They, they've got yeah. to say to the rest of the league, hey, we're going to play 75, 77 more of these things. And if you think you're going to come in here and bang us around and we're not going to fight back, you're wrong. Isn't the reputation of the club important, at least around the rest of the Western Conference, RJ? Yeah, I, I think it is. And really, there's two ways that you can respond and make it known that you can't mess around with our players. Uh, the first one we just talked about where, you know, you're going to have to answer if you have a borderline hit. Somebody's going to ask you to square up and fight. The other way is just having a good power play. And I think that's probably the preferable way to do it. I think that's the way the Kraken would prefer to do it. Problem is the power play is kind of struggled. I mean, really, since the team's inception. And if it's going to continue to be as bad as it has been, then you're going to have to resort to other means to show other teams that they can't just get away with crossing that line. Yeah, they do have John Hayden in the organization, too, but they sent him down to Coachella Valley after um, after camp. Um, I, you know, I wasn't surprised that Devin Shore was going to be the call up. That was the the guy that I also predicted would make the team out of camp. They went with only 22 players instead of the maximum 23. Um, so I wasn't surprised that Shore was the first call up, but there were some times last season, you know, I, I remember this, this one moment in one of the games that Hayden played and I forget who they were even playing against, but somebody either ran into Grubauer or like whacked at his, at his glove or something. And Hayden just grabbed the guy by the shirt and just shook him around in a way that I've never seen a Kraken player do. Right. And it was like, there was this tough physical element that was in the lineup all of a sudden that wasn't there before. And I'm not necessarily saying that that needs to be their game, but having at least a guy guy, that can do those kinds of things is helpful. It really is helpful. As we finish up this first rendition of the Kraken note table, and we'll be together Every couple of weeks, we've got to be very careful not to burn Darren out. I got to keep Listen, him I'm on a, the ice. I'm a delicate, I'm a delicate uh, flower. I, I need you know? to keep you on the ice, Darren. What did you guys say before the season started? I know on your on your respective platforms, you must have predicted where you thought the Kraken would be. I can't imagine anybody in Seattle would think this team would go from a playoff contender a year ago where they went a couple of rounds into the Western Conference playoffs to not making the playoffs when so many teams make the playoffs in 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 the NHL. Where did you have them, and are you second-guessing yourselves? We'll start with you, RJ. What did you think of them going into the year, and are you worried? Are you concerned? So Dylan and I did a Pacific Division preview to start the season off, and of course the Kraken included in that, and I think we both agreed. We both had them finishing fourth place in the Pacific, uh, which the top three teams are guaranteed playoff spots. The fourth one could be a wild card team, so I guess that's a little ambiguous as far as playoffs or not. But we did see some regression coming. I think we were concerned about that, particularly through the preseason. We did our preview before the preseason. And really, it was it was some of those preseason games, especially when a lot of the starters were in the the games against the Oilers that kind of worried us as far as maybe this team is going to regress a little bit more than we thought. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we're we're worried, but we're not panicking at this point. If six games is a small sample size and you know, as, as Dave Haxtell, you know, kind of said a few games ago, like we're not going to shoot 2% forever. It's a little bit better than that now, but uh, you know, give me another week or two before I'm really worried check in, I guess next time we do this. Yeah. I picked him to finish third. I, I was 
sort of expecting some regression, but hopeful for improvement because I'm always an optimist. Um, and so I think, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not like surprised to see where they're at, but I'm also not jumping ship just yet. You know, I think yeah. that there's yeah. there's plenty of time. There's sure. still six games in. They yeah. did get off to a bad start last season, as I said earlier. Um, so there's plenty of time to figure it out. But also there's there's cause for concern. Um, and I think they can only go a few more games before they need to start pulling some some levers to figure out ways to get them going. RJ Eskinos, Emerald City Hockey and Darren Brown, the sound of hockey. They make up the Seattle Kraken no table with yours truly. Every couple of weeks during the uh, the season. And then as we get closer, I can see the grimace coming from Darren's face as we get closer to the finish line. We'll ramp it up a little bit and try to keep Darren Brown on the Mitch Unfiltered Ice. We got to keep him healthy. Got to keep him fresh. Thank you, Darren I'll Brown. I'll be there. Thank you, Darren. Thanks for having me, Mitch. And RJ, great to have you back this year. Yep, thanks for having me back, Mitch. Well, it's been a minute since Lindsey Schwartz of Daniels Broiler popped on to Mitch Unfiltered as we... Count the days, Lindsay, until November the 4th when your beloved alma mater, USC, takes on the purple and gold. How excited are you? Are you a little worried, a little scared based on what you've seen from the dogs? Hey, Mitch. Yeah, I, look, I'm excited. I'm not scared. I, I'm a Trojan. <laughs> um, it's, the, the Huskies look really, really good this year. They got a really good quarterback in Penix, but uh don't forget about Caleb Williams. He, he's not so bad either. He may have had a bad game against the Irish, but uh, I wouldn't count him out just yet. Well, Lindsey Schwartz be in attendance for that game. You know, I don't think so. I don't okay. think so at right. this point. No. Okay, all right. Any I'll be watching it, that's for sure. <laughs> Any truth to the rumor that you'll be handing out free ribeyes to all Huskies fans if they kick the Trojans' backside on November the 4th? Let me think about that. we got a couple <laughs> games to play before, so uh, let, let me just kind of kind of see how it looks leading into the week all of the right. game. I've teased you enough. Thanksgiving around the corner for Daniels Boiler. We always talk about it this time of year. It is the best. I've done it. It's the best, I think, the best day of the year at Daniel's Broiler. What do you have in store for us? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I, same thing for me. I know you like to go there on Thanksgiving. I love to go there on Thanksgiving. I've been going there for years. It's just so much fun. It's, of course, the one day where we bring in turkey and have the traditional Thanksgiving feast. Uh, we do a four-course dinner. It is $80 per person, and you get turkey, of course. But if you want something different, we are a steakhouse. You can get steak. You can get prime rib. You can get salmon. Uh, we got it all. And then at the downtown location, we also do uh, – we do a buffet, so it's all you can eat with all the same great things. Nice. And uh, that's $75 per person. So, yeah, take your pick. But it'll, as you know, it sells out fast. I mean, it's it's the busiest day of the year. So if anybody's thinking about doing it, jump on it quickly. I should mention that Daniel's Less Shy has been closed for a remodel. Will it be open in time for Thanksgiving? It will. You know, it's crazy. I mean, we've closed for a day or two before to make some repairs or do some some minor remodel. This is the first time we've ever closed it down uh, for a couple of months. I mean, you know, we opened in 1980. We've been around a long time, wow. but uh, we're doing a you know complete revamp. You won't even recognize it other than the beautiful view, of course, will be the same. And uh, we're really excited. It, it's going to be super cool. It is going to open in time for Thanksgiving. It's going to be a lot of fun. It makes Thanksgiving extra special this year for us. Daniel's Broiler, Daniel's Broiler for special occasions and Thanksgiving. We love Daniel's Broiler, a world-class steakhouse. Unfiltered.
episode 259, the other stuff segment with Hotshot Scott. Who in the hell is Bad Bunny? <laughs> By the way, you'd be happy yes. to know that uh, Kim Kardashian was at the Van Nuys courthouse all week. Do you know why? No. She reported for jury duty. Kim Kardashian reported for jury duty. Come on. Involved in a case where two men were charged with murdering another man in a gang-related crime. She was not picked for the jury. I'm just happy that at $10 a day, she's finally going to have a little money coming and back. she showed this up. Way. She didn't like write in, look for an excuse, she showed try up. to get away. I, I don't think you can. I mean, I, well, you can. You can try. You can try, yeah. but they don't take too kindly. Yeah. Though. They don't. No, they, everyone need, has a job. We like, need your civic. That's help, right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. At 10 bucks a day. I just I love just happy. She's able to make a couple bucks. Have you ever heard of Washington State Congressman Adam Smith? He's my new favorite Washington State Congressman, even though I don't know who my Washington State Congressman are. <laughs> when they always say write your congressman, I'm like, yes, should I know who that is. <laughs> I well, he's that? my new favorite <laughs> okay, because I, and I don't know. I'm not going to pretend to know what's going on with the Speaker of the House. And all there's there's oh, a lot of controversy yeah. in the speaker that I don't follow it all. Jim Jordan, Kevin McCarthy. I don't right. follow it all. All I know is that Adam Smith, Washington State Congressman, when commenting on Twitter on October the 20th, did you see the tweet? No. It seems like Jim Jordan is taking advice from Kevin McCarthy on how to count votes. That's like taking advice from Jerry DePoto and the Seattle Mariners on how to win a World Series. Wow. Really? The Washington State Congressman just throws the <laughs> Mariners right under the bus. Taking shots. Wow. Yes, and as a as a long-suffering Mariners fan. Yeah. Yeah, I don't care. Washington Democrat, Washington Republican. Right. This crosses the aisle, man. When you throw Jerry man. DePoto and the Seattle Mariners right squarely under the bus, I don't think he's getting comp tickets anytime no, soon. No, he was going to throw out the first pitch in game <laughs> 28, and they've now pulled that away from Atta him. a boy, Adam. <laughs> Way to throw him right there under the bus. Good for him. Yeah. All right, here's a story for you. A man yeah. had to be hospitalized after an adverse reaction to eating undercooked mushrooms. Oh. Yes, it caused him to break out in these painful oh. rashes on his back and his buttocks. Once again, Levy, you've been vindicated Do on the mushroom Do you know about the mushrooms thing? thing? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's why I brought this up. So yeah. photos show his back and his rear were just streaked Ugh. with long red welts as if oh. he'd been flogged. And it's something they know about. It's caused by lentinin, which is a carbohydrate that sends out chemical messengers, which yeah. cause inflammation. Yeah. So there you go. Another reason to stay away from mushrooms. I've gotten to the point when I go to a restaurant where I could be ordering <laughs> oh, something that has absolutely zero chance of oh, having a mushroom. God. And I'll ask, are, are, there, are there any mushrooms in that? What would you like to drink? I, I'll have a smoothie. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Any mushrooms in that? <laughs> Sir, it's Baskin Robbins. Yeah. No, we no don't mushrooms. have any. No, no. I will ask if there's a mushroom in it with dishes that just have zero chance uh, I, of having a mushroom. I've been with you. Oh, you've seen me it's in action. It's embarrassing. Yeah, I don't. Now, look, if a mushroom comes anywhere near yeah. this plate, I've heard that routine. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Really? I've been there. Yeah, it's wildly <laughs> embarrassing, but yes. <laughs> Uh, you see the guy from Poland that stood like a mannequin in a mall for hours and no. hours and hours outside a store? No. So when it closed, they thought it was just a mannequin so he could rip the place off? That's kind of diabolical in a way, isn't really? it? Yeah, he stood there as a mannequin. And he stole how much? A 22-year-old. He was. This is not the first time he's done it, but he was stealing clothes. He was helping himself to food and... And he was eventually caught and arrested after stealing wow. uh, some jewelry. But that's, that's kind of a diabolical way to break into well, a mall. Just we like all a like mannequin. a bargain, right? <laughs> yeah. And free is the best bargain that there is. <laughs> yeah, so while right. you're talking about people who steal from stores, how about Troy Aikman's girlfriend? Go on. 
Troy Aikman's girlfriend is a is a gal by the name of Haley Clark. Okay. She loves a good bargain. She was uh, fired and temporarily banned from her previous job at Nordstrom. Oh, no. After the retail giant accuses her of stealing nearly $4,000 worth of products. Wow. Now, I'll tell you how she stole them, and then you'll tell me if it's quite as bad in your mind. <laughs> okay. She's Troy Aikman's girlfriend. By the way, Troy Aikman is, I think, at about $30 million a year to do football games. Yeah. Maybe she can afford the... Uh, anyway. Grab his card, yeah. Clark, 34, was accused of stealing... $3,924.44 in products through, now let me tell you how, improper use of her employee discount while she worked as the director of sales at Trunk Club, a Nordstrom-owned company in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Okay. So what she was doing was she was bringing her friends and family and everybody was using her employee discount card. Gotcha. Quote, plaintiff allowed her friends and relatives to make purchases using her Nordstrom employee discount in direct violation of Nordstrom policy. She wasn't like lifting merchandise right. and walking out the Shoving door. Shoving things under her jacket no. and heading out to the car. No, she wasn't. Troy was doing that. <laughs> she was she was using improperly her discount card for family and friends to the tune of $3,924.44. Yeah, it feels like you're abusing your perk. Yes. So I would agree with them, yes. I mean, what, we all know probably someone who works there. So if anyone could just use it, why even have retail prices? I mean, why wouldn't we all just get the discount? It doesn't work that way. Police in Spain have arrested another man who wasn't too honest. So he's become infamous at local restaurants for eating fancy dinners and then Feigning a heart attack to avoid what? paying his bill. <laughs> the 50-year-old man has been circulated oh among my God. restaurants in the region. He's allegedly conned more than 20 restaurants, but he was actually caught last month when the staff at one of the restaurants at a hotel presented the bill of $37. That's right. Oh, wait a second. He's faking a heart attack to get out of a $37 bill? When the staff member left, the man tried to leave but was stopped and notified that he still had to pay oh his bill. God. The scammer then claimed that he was oh going to God. get the money from his hotel room, but they didn't let him leave. And it was at that point when he started faking yet another heart attack. And he asked the staff to call for an ambulance. But the cops recognized him and he said, enough, this is over. Our old friend Diana Rossini of The Athletic is reporting that the Denver Broncos are not having a fire sale Despite a troubling start to their 2023 season, multiple people with the team told Rossini that they will listen to offers on any and every player, but they aren't selling their roster. Any and every player would include the quarterback wow. of the Denver Broncos. How much would it cost the Denver Broncos to trade Russell Wilson after recently signing him to that mega deal extension? Well... I'm glad you asked. Yes. He would be a $22 million cap hit and the dead cap space the following years, $107 million. Oh, man. Sounds like no one's getting traded. No. Well, he's not getting traded. Well, yes. Oh, it's just been a disaster from the moment number three walked through the doors of Denver. Do you kind of miss having yeah, nothing to, say to root for? You love this. That was so fun last year. Not only was it kind of fun to watch his demise on the field. Right. But then you had like something at stake. You had the draft pick. Right. Do you kind of miss not having that to root for? So what you're saying his his ineptitude <laughs> yeah. was not only enjoyable, but it was you prospered from. That's right. Yeah. That's exactly right. Oh, you had so much fun. I miss that this year. I miss it so much. Yeah. I, I wish every year we could root against the Broncos for a draft pick for some <laughs> reason. That was so damn fun. For, former NFL star Terrell Owens was struck by a car yeah. in Calabasas, California on Monday. 
Owens, 49, was playing basketball at a local court in the area when a disagreement between the former NFL star and an unidentified man began hotshot, according to, according to Malibu Lost Hill Sheriff Station. Owens was struck by the man's vehicle. No injuries were reported, according to law enforcement. So everybody's okay. Good. But he was getting into it in a pickup basketball game. And why does that not surprise me from Terrell Owens? That's not the T.O. we know. No, Come not, on. Talking not the guy shit that ran, the ran out to the star <laughs> in Dallas. Remember that? Who hit him? Who came out and rocked him? Oh, I think Teague. George Teague. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Do you kind of respect George Teague for doing that? Yeah. Yeah, I kind of do, too. No, not kind of. <laughs> By the way, I hate to say it. I'm a Seahawks fan. The greatest end zone celebration in the history of the game when he pulled the sharp. Wasn't that him that pulled the sharpie out? Yeah, yeah. On Sean Springs, on your buddy. On Sean Spr- who who didn't bristle, the f- which bothered the shit out of me. Yeah, I'm kind of with you. But the fact that he had the Sharpie in his sock already. Pl- oh, yeah. He didn't get it from the. Uh, no, 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 no. It was. Yeah. And then if you remember, he he signed the ball and Sean Springs had a suite at the in the end zone and he threw it in Sean's suite. Yeah. And Sean wasn't pissed. No. Sean got beat. Yep. He watched the guy sign the ball. Yep. And then he, he watched the guy give it to people in his suite. Yep. And he wasn't pissed at all. Yeah, I didn't. And I was him. pissed and he wasn't. That's right. <laughs> Something wrong with that. <laughs> now, is that is that better or worse? Who was the foul? Was it Andre Risen? There was somebody who before the game put a phone, a flip phone. Yeah. In the goalpost padding so that when he scored a touchdown, That's right. he ran over and pulled a phone out. Do you remember that? It was, I think it might have been Andre It might Andre have been Andre Risen. Risen. Yeah. It might, somebody like that. It wasn't Moss, was it? Was it uh, No, it wasn't Randy Moss. It was before Moss. Randy Moss, yeah. I think. Yeah, the, you know, you know the time oh, I'm talking yeah. about. Amazing. Yeah, That's is, is really that good. better or worse than the sharpie in the in the saw? I, I just think the sharpie. It's just like I don't know how you can do better. I do like Joey Galloway. Remember we used to have Galloway in the studio? Yeah, oh yeah, sure. He he's still working, man. I still see yeah, it. Yeah, faster you, than fast. You man. were first. You're the one that's you recognized his genius and said we must do a show with Joey Galloway. Do you remember that? He used to come yeah, in once a week. I don't remember that. I really you didn't. But, <laughs> Somebody but said to me, "Do you want to do a show with Joey Galloway?" And I said yes. <laughs> and 25 years later, Scott's telling me you recognize the I genius. Know. I was trying to help you out no, there. Thank but, you very much. but look who's earning money. In, in media. fact, probably somebody came to me and said, "You want to do a show with Joey Galloway?" And I went, "No." And they made me. <laughs> True. Dude, and now I'm getting dance. credit. And now I'm taking credit for it. <laughs> By the way, who's earning paychecks in the world of the media? Him or us? Not us. That sure ain't us. He's still <laughs> cashing checks, isn't he? <laughs> All right. You know uh, the name Danny Serafini? I got it. I got it on Hit here. Hit me too. with no, it. No, I, I mean, it's it's bizarre. It's weird. Why did he kill his mother-in-law or father? Allegedly, kill- right? I mean, Right, allegedly. Yeah. He's been arrested, right? Yeah, still so, no no motive, no formal. So he's a former pitcher, like weird. a journeyman, Pirates, Reds. He pitched for like a cup of coffee in Major League Baseball. But he's been arrested for the 2021 shooting of his father-in-law. Yeah. Murder. An attempted murder of An Wendy attempt Wood. Of his mother-in-law. Yeah. These are the parents of his wife. Crazy. And and somebody else was also arrested, like a girl. It's not even a girlfriend. It's just some other some other person that he knows, right? A woman was also co-arrested at the same time for these murders. Yeah, Samantha Scott, murders? his his accomplice, alleged accomplice. Why do I think this is Dateline NBC's show in a couple weeks? Oh, it's going to be great. Yeah, forty nine years old, yeah. along with thirty three year old Samantha Scott, after a lengthy two year investigation into the murder of 70-year-old Robert Gary Spore, his father-in-law, and attempted murder of 68-year-old Wendy Wood, his mother-in-law. Yeah. And they're not saying that there's a romantic connection between him and this 33-year-old Samantha Scott. 
And they're not really saying why or what happened or what the motive was. But there's video surveillance. And this has been going on for two years. So trying weird. to find out who did this. Crazy. I know. Yeah. Uh, you want to hear a fun 80s celebrity cheating story that's sure, been revealed in a new book? A really? new book's coming out by a guy named John Stamos. Oh. Remember him? Yeah. So he claims his girlfriend at the time, Terry Copley. Loved her. You know who that is? Oh, I know Terry Copley from way back. She was in a... She was in a show with him, I think. Yeah. No, no, no. She was in a show with somebody else. Blonde hair guy. Yeah, I know. Very, very just pretty. Just trust me. I know Terry Copley. Is. Okay. Yeah. So he said this all went down in the mid 80s. He was madly in love with her. Yeah. About a year into the relationship, he noticed a change in her while she was, uh, you know, on the road doing yeah. gigs and Tony the whole Danza. thing. And yeah, he, he felt like she was becoming <laughs> dodgy and not returning his calls. So one day he just swung by her place. Yes. What could go wrong with the pop-in, right? And that's where he discovered none other than... A completely naked Tony Danza <laughs> passed out in her bed. <laughs> completely naked. God, that must have sucked. And you look at Stamos, you go, what woman would ever like... Turn him down. I mean, imagine the heartbreak he oh must have felt. That, Tony Danza, who's the boss, is laying in my girlfriend's bed naked. I'm going to kill myself. This is awful. But yeah, so his oh, his book comes out uh, the same day as Britney's book on Tuesday. So Perhaps he go. needs to be a guest on Mitch Unfiltered. Yeah. Oh, Stamos? Yeah. Promote he, the book. You know, his... Saget's like is one of his best friends, oh. and Rickles was one of his best friends. Weirdly, oh, yeah, yeah, he'd yeah, be a yeah, great yeah. guest if you can get him on. He yeah. seems he seems funny, and Norm Macdonald we'll was out, friends. We'll and, send out the request to yeah. the publishing company. Absolutely, no, definitely, yeah. he'd be a good guest. I, I have RIPs. Do you have I, I have to get this in before okay, RIPs. Okay, okay. Taylor Madison from Newcastle was stunned, as was her mother, to find out. Wait who, a second, are we talking Newcastle, Washington? We are not. I think okay. this is England. Okay, okay. Go ahead. Who her top subscriber on her OnlyFans We're account is. We're back to OnlyFans, ladies and gentlemen. She figured out who her top subscriber, who spends the most money on her OnlyFans account. Okay, okay. Turns out it was uh, her stepdad. I had a subscriber who was <laughs> purchasing all of my content since two to four weeks into me having my account. He had a very specific username that was not automatically generated. She figured it out. She explained that after some digging, she connected his username with someone who viewed her account on TikTok. Anyway, I was left with six numbers and my stepdad was one of them. And uh, I went with my gut and messaged him online saying I knew who it was. Madison said he first denied it, so she threatened to tell her mom. <laughs> Within two minutes, I got a text message from my stepdad saying, hey, Ty, can we talk? <laughs> Thanksgiving should be awesome, even though they don't celebrate it over there. I, I don't know why she was so interested and so curious, but... Good old stepdad got caught. And <laughs> oh, God. That's going to make for some great dinners at their house. Holy All right, crap. RIPs. And I have to start with the one that we missed last week. Yeah, it was like I heard about it, I swear, 10 minutes or so after, after we did the show. Yeah. yeah. Suzanne Summers died one day short of her 77th birthday after decades long battle with cancer. I've been living with cancer since my 20s, she said years ago. And every time that little fucker pops up, I continue to bat it back. I do my best not to let this insidious disease control me. It's a recurrence of my breast cancer. Like any cancer patient, when you get that dreaded, it's back. You get a pit in your stomach, and then I put on my battle gear and I go to war. This is a familiar battleground for me, and I'm very tough. She dealt with this for 25 or 30 years, 35 years. Yeah. The former uh, Chrissy. Chrissy. On Three's Company. And I told the story on Twitter. I'll say it here quickly for the people that don't follow us on Twitter. I actually remember in the 80s going to Vegas with my family and my mother and dad saying, let's go to a show. We always went to see like Buddy Hackett right. or Don Rickles or Sammy Davis. Right, or right. Some of those greats. 
And there was nobody playing, I don't think, very popular. And my mother said, what about Suzanne Summers? She's got a show. And I'm yeah. like, Suzanne Summers? What? She's going to come out and roller skates and the knee well, it, tur- it actually turns out that she's a very talented woman. She sings, she dances, she's got, she's funny. Well, I don't know if you know, but back then you had to be talented to be famous. Um, I don't know. So maybe they could all did, sing and dance. Didn't. A lot of people didn't think she was very talented. Okay. But anyway, so the Levy family, all five of us. Yeah. Got in the uh, taxi cab from whatever hotel. Sure. We went over to whatever resorts to go see the Suzanne Summers show. Yeah. We are seated there towards the front and we're watching. And what I recall is Suzanne Summers coming off of the stage, down the steps, into the crowd, looking around, putting her hand over her eyes because the spotlight was so intense. Yeah. And then turning to a dude and saying, I want you. And pointed at him, and he said, you got me. <laughs> and she pulled him up stage. She sang to him. He knew the song. They were arm in arm, a love song. He knew the song, and he interrupted her singing by singing himself. And everybody started to laugh. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and I remember that guy was my dad. Wow, Yeah, really? my dad went up there with Suzanne Summers and totally interrupted the song. And it was so That's funny, crazy. and the crowd loved it so much when he started singing instead of her, that when we came out at the end of the show, the show lets out into the casino. Sure. You've seen this routine before. People are like, well, there, they are. there he is. To my dad, there he is. Oh. They were convinced it was all a setup. Like a plant. A plant. Wow. And my dad was a plant. <laughs> it was a plant, right? I'm like, no, no, no. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> and people were like, there he is. There he is. He's signing autographs. Yeah, He's taking yeah, pictures. Yeah. And then he lost all his money at craps, and we went home. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> the like, entire family. Like everyone else does in Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, she pulled him on That's stage crazy. and sang to him, and then he interrupted. That's funny. Yeah. God, I would do anything for a video of that, wouldn't you? You're probably not an American graffiti guy. Did you like that movie? Or? Yeah, I saw it. I kind of liked it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I happen to Richard love it. Richard Gere. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A whole bunch of people. Dri- in that is one. it Dreyfus? Richard Dreyfus, I think, is not it? Richard yeah. Gere, I don't think. Not Richard Gere? Okay. American graffiti. Cindy from uh, Laverne and Shirley. Yeah, Cindy was Ron Williams. Howard in it, maybe? Ron Howard. Yeah. Directed by a guy named George Lucas. Yeah. Well, who went on to do some other movies yeah, after I'm that? Not sure whatever happened to that guy. Yeah. There's a woman that, that I think Richard uh, Dreyfus is chasing throughout the whole movie that right. he, he sees once in a white Thunderbird, this blonde beauty. Yeah. That's like the premise of it. And so he goes to Wolfman Jack to like. Please put it out there. I want to find this blonde beauty who yeah, looked at me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's Suzanne Summers is the blonde oh, beauty in the car. So oh. there's the answer. So she's to in it. it. She's an American graffiti. Yeah, she's. She, I don't recall that. She's the blonde one that he's okay. trying to find in the whole movie. So there you go. I have two other RIPs. I don't know if you do. Burt Young, uh, the great Burt Young. That's the one I have. Nominated too. for an Oscar. Who knew, right? As Polly. He was 83 years old. I loved that role. I love Polly. Maybe the best role in the entire Rocky series. Scene stealer. Yeah. Uh, extraordinaire Rocky films. He appeared in all of them. He was the brother-in-law. He was uh, Adrian's brother. Yep. The alcoholic. Roger Ebert said of Young's performance in the original Rocky and Burt Young as Adrian's brother, defeated and resentful, loyal and bitter, caring about people enough to hurt them just to draw attention to his grief. He got rave reviews from the beginning, even though the actual movie didn't get rave reviews. He got rave reviews. He would be nominated for an Oscar. To my dear friend, Burt Young, Stallone wrote on Instagram on October the 18th, alongside a throwback photo of the duo on the set of the 1976 Rocky. You were an incredible man and artist. I and the world will miss you. Rest in peace. Who did he, who did he lose to in 1976 for the Academy Award? Who won it that year? Well, that would have been probably supporting actor. Uh, it wouldn't have been best actor. Right, yeah. So who did he lost to a guy I named don't. Jason Robards? 
Uh-huh. Probably heard that name. Sure, as I have. Washington Post editor Ben Bradley and all the president's men. All the men. president's men. Pretty good company for sure. Burt Young, who threw the whiskey bottle through the, yeah. the, the Rocky pinball machine. You oh, remember that sure. scene? What was that in part three, maybe? Uh, he's like pissed off and he's drunk. and he, What's the matter with you? <laughs> What's the matter with you? All he had to do was ask. <laughs> he, was, he just wants a job. Boy. I like when they're in the garage. And, you and, can take your watch. <laughs> Take your watch. And he throws the watch at him in yeah. the parking lot. He's like, he's he's throwing punches at, at the world champion. Like, you're going to hit the world champion, but he didn't care, yeah. boy. Paulie's still throwing away. And on the first date, <laughs> when Rocky and Adrian are together yeah. at Rocky's place. And, and he gives Adrian, her a compliment. Well, Adrian, Adrian says, I, I should get home. Paulie's going to be worried where I am. Rocky says to him, of course, says to her, of course, I'll take care of that. And he opens the window and says, hey, Paulie. <laughs> She's all right. She's with me. I'll call him. She calls him out the window. Oh, it was oh, a simpler God. time. Yeah. You have one more. I don't have any more RIPs. Well, Super Bowl champion and Dallas Cowboy running back Walt Garrison. Is that naming anything yet? No. He kind of was with Dwayne Thomas and that crew. Okay. Before Tony Dorsett also led the Big 8 in rushing during his time at Oklahoma State. Walt Garrison died at the age of 79. I remember him from, speak of the devil, I remember him from the tobacco chewing commercials oh really i think he was on the just a pinch between my cheek and gums gives me full tobacco pleasure skull skull i think it was skull Skull? yeah that's weird they used to have i think walt garrison was on that like a football player yeah Yeah. earl campbell was on it once too like i think it was skull brother yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) i think it was a big ad campaign though yeah i remember just between your cheek and gum yeah like i remember that line for well i'm telling you yeah just a pinch between your cheek and gums gives you full tobacco pleasure (laughs) I remember the whole thing. Still does. And I think it was Walt Garrison. That's funny. Yeah. Does a pinch between your cheek and gums? Give oh, sure. The, the best. I chewed for years. I, I loved it. Are you still using the things? Yeah. Doing, uh, not as much, but yeah. I'm, you don't crave it anymore. Tobacco or the lozenges? Because now I need a new lozenge <laughs> to get off of these lozenges because I've been on these too long. Headlines, please. Passengers to London apparently experienced a day of travel that went from bad to worse after someone defecated on the bathroom floor which resulted in the cancellation of the entire flight. Uh-oh. Officials are still investigating, which includes studying the captain's log. <laughs> Funeral party oh, walks out on a $542 restaurant tab, and the Dine and Dash was all caught on video. They walked out, left a $500 tab, just left. The patrons complained about the quality of the food and in an effort to justify not paying, of course. In fact, the food was so awful, the video shows the patrons leaving with all their leftovers in the containers to eat later. That's how bad the food was. Grantsville City, Utah officials want a Halloween decoration removed now. It's a skeleton with a purple wig twirling upside down on a street sign as two other skeleton figures watch from lawn chairs. The owner is confused, though. He doesn't understand why, as the pole dancing skeleton isn't showing any skin. And finally, a 55-year-old Arkansas man was discovered in a compromising position in a rocking car, Uh allegedly having sex with a stuffed animal. A stuffed animal. I think we can all agree the saddest part about this is the poor toy who got stuffed twice. It's like a twice-baked potato, but the stuffed animal version. I appreciate the twice-baked potato. (laughs) A little more. (laughs) Uh, Okay, that's it. That's it. Listen. Try to refrain when you see the throwback jerseys for the first time this Sunday against the Cleveland Browns from tweeting out that they should be wearing these every game for the rest of their lives. Because that's what all of us are going to think when we see the throwback jerseys. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. I know. Great. We've been waiting for it for a long time. Episode 259, ladies and gentlemen, like it or not, in the books. (laughs) 